Mm-hmm. Yeah. James, uh, how's the trick or treating? Man, it uh, it was good. First you off, know, with- what were what was your costume? <laughs> so we went. Uh, I was Forrest Gump, um, and you know Forrest has a lot of different phases throughout that movie. So I was kind of like, you know, right after his mom passes away and he just takes off running. So like the pre, you know, pre long hair and long beard for us, but he's still an adult, like the button down, you know, collared shirt, short sleeve collared shirt with khakis and Nikes on and the, mm-hmm. the Bubba Gump uh, hat. So that's when I was, Hannah was Jenny. And then little, little man was Lieutenant Dan. So we, incredible. So we set up his stroller like was his little wheelchair. He had on little uh, camo pants and we tied uh, the ends of the pants below his feet um, and put a little headband uh, on him and everything. It's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. That's great. That yeah. is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's really good. Yeah. So we had fun. Any Anytime you can involve the kid with something like that, you're pulling it off. Yeah. Was, was, was the wife the hippie version of. Okay. Yeah, she was kind of um, like when when for when they meet up on the uh, the Washington Mall, you know, she's like wearing mm-hmm. that long dress and has the yeah. headband and all that. Yeah, she's kind of like that version of Jenny. She could have been like the older version of Jenny, like the mom with the short hair, where she's like got her yeah. life together, but all of a sudden the she's cancer like, version. <laughs> dang it, I, the HIV <laughs> version. Oh yeah. yeah, HIV. My bad. My bad. Yeah, yeah. not cancer. That's right. And then people the just be like. Who is this middle-aged human being yeah. with you tonight? Yeah. The two Jennies I think of are that the one. server? And then the, <laughs> the, the Letterman jacket Jenny is obviously the, the, ne- mm. the number one Jenny. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The Letterman yeah. jacket Jenny. Nothing, there you go, Nothing gets better than Letterman jacket Jenny. <laughs> That's pretty good Jenny. <laughs> Indeed. But yeah, it was, it was fun, yeah. man. Halloween was good. Definitely um, – Definitely missed y'all, but you know that's uh, that's kind of a, a milestone having first Halloween with the kiddos. So Hell yeah, good. damn right. So, do you have like a bunch of built-up takes that you're ready to just spit out? <laughs> Man, not really. No. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm, I'm about uh, as I'm, I'm disappointed. As every other week, I'm consistent. You know, I was yeah. just hoping you had like some two-week take that you were just like, I can't wait to get on the mic and just let the people know. No, <laughs> I, I will say that. Um, and and we'll probably get to this at some point, but I've almost mentioned it before. Um, and, and y'all kind of got a taste of my ranting on Saturday, but I feel like targeting in college football is and continues to be the worst rule in sports. No one does yeah, really I bad. Is. I wanted to, uh, I definitely think we should talk about it. You were pretty passionate about that in the text thread. Yeah. And, and, and I have honesty, some takes on that as well, actually. You know, it, my, my th- you know, people are coming out and calling Dallas Turner a dirty player and all that. I don't think that. I think Dallas Turner yeah. is a good player. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. he gets after the quarterback. That's his job. But yeah. my main frustration with it is no one, including the refs and the rule experts on TV, <laughs> know what it agree is, yeah. what targeting is. And then you're throwing yeah. kids out for it, you know, so – to and, me, well, and that was definitely targeted. <laughs> yeah, the most blatant, I mean, blatant at, at least I've ever seen. the the textbook definition, which is if you hit a defenseless player in the head or neck area, and I'm not exactly sure what the neck area like specifically is, but I'm pretty sure that's it. <laughs> like Dallas Turner was all up in it, you know. So, um, I I just I feel like that's way too inconsistent and way too subjective, and the penalty is too harsh. You know, I I get making it a 15 yard penalty. 
And then maybe you can even do something like what basketball's done with the flagrant one and flagrant two. And like if you have a Vontez perfect who's like out there trying to, you know, clearly decapitate people, you know, maybe there's some <laughs> kind of threshold there. But really my idea, what I would do for it, if I, you know, was in charge of, of making rules and things like that is if if somebody targets it's a 15-yard penalty. You give them a warning, almost like a yellow card in soccer. And then if they do it again, then it's another 15-yard penalty. And then, you know, you could potentially take them out. But, again, yeah. man, I, I just hate seeing kids ha- have to leave a game. Or, you know, it, it happens regularly where something happens in the second half and then a player's having to sit out in the first half of the next game. Yeah, that's, that's um, the worst case For scenario. something that yeah. is totally subjective. And, and it was really interesting, too, as that was happening in the Bama LSU game, Kentucky and Mississippi State were also playing, and a very similar situation happened. And the Kentucky linebacker did get called for targeting and got tossed. And so you had this like very interesting side by side comparison. And it's like mm-hmm. there's really not much of a difference, but it's enforced in one game but not in the other. You know, just yeah. there's just no consistency there. So that's that's my main gripe with it. I just hate targeting. I think we could dive into that during the Alabama game t- yeah. discussion. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Too. I have a I mean, couple. Uh, just I'll, go I'll, for it now. I'll, huh? Go for it now. I mean, I think my take is the bang bang plays are ridiculous. If it's bang bang over the middle and the receiver's catching and the DB's <clears> waiting <throat> on him, it's it shouldn't hardly ever be targeting. I think there should be some sort of huddle up where it's like, did this person intend to hurt this person, or did he right. launch with the screws of his helmet into this person's face? That's that's see, that's where uh, that's where my take lies. I think a lot of people misconstrue targeting as an intent to cause damage with malicious intent. And that is right. not Thank what you. the fucking, that's not what the fucking rule is there for. Right. It's to prevent Damn. players from recklessly endangering another player or themselves about, for that matter. or themselves. Yeah. So to call Dallas a dirty player, was it a dirty play? Maybe probably it looked dirty, but like, he's not a dirty player. Yeah. And, then, and, uh, and, and then, even then I, I still don't uh, think he's, he's not trying to knock Jaden Daniels out of the game. He's not trying to like, hurt him. I, I yeah. think he's trying he's gonna to make him make, feel it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he's trying to make him hurt, but he's not trying to hurt him. There's a difference there, you know? And then something interesting happened in the NFL just recently. It's funny. It's kind of the right time to have this conversation, but Kareem Jackson just got a suspension because he had four unnecessary roughness penalties over the course of like however many games and the NFL mm. went back and looked at it and they were like, this guy is at it. Like he is clearly like aggressively like targeting players. And then they took action on it. And I think that's how all of it should be done. Yeah. I think that's that's a interesting. Perfect template for it. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of weird that he didn't get an ejective from any of those games. Right. And that's kind of how they handled it in spite of having the targeting penalty in, I think in the NFL, right. They have the same rules, but anyway, I don't think so, there is targeting in the NFL, is there? I think it's just like unnecessary roughness or something like that. Yeah, maybe you're do right. You, do you know, Clark? It's, it's a weird – I don't think it's defined as targeting. I mean, they even have it on offense in the NFL, and it's rarely even called when the ball carrier like leads with the crown of his helmet. Uh, you'll see that very rarely. Um, but that's just a, a lot of times how people just brace for impact, so it's hard to call it on yeah. that. But yeah. I'm just more amazed that – Brad's dropping F-bombs five minutes into the show. <laughs> and this is a conversation that he wanted to de- delay for later. If I mean, if you got something to say, <laughs> let it out. I'll be honest. I didn't even realize we were recording yet. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I had no idea. I just looked at the clock. That's good <laughs> stuff. Shit. 
Oh, that's, that's, that's raw yeah. audio right there. No <laughs> that doubt. was. Keeping he just got real. hot. <laughs> yeah, that but, was it. But okay. yeah, I like I said, but the my main issue with it is I've seen players, you know, thrown out of games for way less than that. And then I've seen other plays similar to that where it's not called. And so again, I, I, I think the disqualification is just ridiculous unless they can kind of come up with some consensus as to exactly what mm-hmm. targeting is and what should lead to disqualification nothing's going to change until it impacts a huge game with a ton of yeah, eyes on it that's the only way things well, are going to change it, and and also it has it i mean that, that happened a couple of years ago with that clemson ohio state game in the uh in the semifinals um when i think justin it was the, fields got his butt kicked that night holy cow that was such yeah. a gutsy performance yes it was and and it was in that game and a clemson guy a clemson linebacker I, f- I forget the name and even the circumstance but he got tossed i know you're like talking very, about really good player yeah and it was like a very borderline you know it's like yeah this could get called you know should it i don't know and people were going man you can't <clears throat> you can't do that in, in this spot you know this game's too big and it's like well that's the rule you know they're just enforcing the rules so i'm still not i mean i think it would have to like directly impact like the outcome of a national championship game yeah i agree you know because i mean what what bigger spotlight could you have that happen on right than in the alabama lsu game on saturday night with a heisman contender who's been lighting it up all night lsu had every chance to go back and get back in that game and they were for sure they were a dead fish after he was out yeah so i mean i don't think that there is a circumstance because i really can't think of a play that a game with more eyes on it where one player getting injured by a, a, a dangerous hit like would have that much yeah. of an impact. Because it was. The game was over as soon as he's out. It was over. Yeah. The one I can think of, and targeting wasn't how it was back then, but do you all remember that Florida OU National Championship where I think it was Major Wright? It Florida was Major safety. Wright, like right at the beginning, and he just launched into that dude's chest. <laughs> absolutely destroyed just him. went through him and yeah. major Wright even says afterwards he was like i could have intercepted that ball but it was at the beginning of the game and i just wanted to go through his chest and send a message i didn't care about even getting the turnover i, I think that his direct his one or one of his quotes was um <clears throat> i wanted to take his soul oh. <laughs> there That's you strong. go there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, he's like, I was tracking the ball and really and saw that I could make a play on it, but I wanted to take his soul. Soul mm. taking 15 yards. <laughs> and Major Wright was a bad dude. He was mm-hmm. a bad dude. He, he was. was. Yeah. But yeah, college football's got to do something to solve that. It's it's been ridiculous for too long of time now. And they haven't as strict as they've been on it, we haven't seen any change of play or change of style of play. Like it's not making players play different or make other decisions. So whatever they're doing, isn't working. It's just causing players to lose time on the field. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and 15 yeah. yards is enough. 15 yards, is such a big penalty yeah. anyway. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of my deal with it too. Is like, if someone's out there just targeting people left and right and costing their team 15 yards, like they're not going to be on the field very long, no, you know, like no, coaches aren't going to put up with that shit, you know? So, no. um, I, I don't know, but yeah, that just, I, I really, I honestly think that is the worst rule in sports. I hate it. Absolutely. Yeah. James, while, James, while we're here on college football, uh, you missed, you've been gone for a couple of weeks. So I just want to get your, uh, sign stealing take uh with michigan things are heating <laughs> up a little bit and and yeah. I, 
I, I really don't know what to make of it. I, I didn't I pay either. any attention to it's it bizarre. at the beginning because I just thought it was so just blah. Like, who cares? Right. Every yeah. team does it. Now it is turning into like the only thing I can p- compare it to is like 2010, like Cam Newton <clears> type <throat> stuff. Like it, these next three days, all this stuff's going to come out and NCAA and the Big Ten are going to step in. And now you've got other schools involved, not just Central Michigan, but Ohio State and Rutgers are now accused of giving Purdue uh, Michigan signs for the Big Ten championship game last year. Yeah. And it's looking like Harbaugh may get a second suspension in one year, which is ridiculous. And also Michigan's going to do whatever they can to litigate this for as long as possible because they just don't want any of this stuff being settled while they're in the hunt for a national title. Yeah, Yeah, I I mean, you know, they're arguably the best team in the country, you know, so – having all this happen is just insane. What What do you think should happen by what information you do know? I mean, it's still pretty murky, but. I, I to be completely honest, I still don't fully understand everything that they're being accused of, but I know that, like you said, it kind of, it seems to be more than just kind of an isolated incident. You know, when we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, I was thinking to myself, well, so what if you're sending people to scout in person, unless you're, yeah sending people on the sidelines and stuff like that, which it, it apparently is <laughs> apparently something that they're is. doing. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. That guy's like on the sidelines in sunglasses at night where there's like a blue dot, you know, showing smart glasses recording. Looking and, down. And yeah. And he, had, like, he was in central Michigan gear and had like credentials and all that stuff, you know, and it's just bizarre. You know, it's like, how, how long has this been going on? And to be completely honest, I, I don't understand it as far as like, what is the reward? that's worth the risk for Michigan of sending a spy onto central Michigan's sideline. Like, you know, how is that worth like jeopardizing a potential national championship year and possibly, you know, costing your coach another suspension and, you know, maybe him even going to the the NFL, like we talked about, but I just don't, I don't fully comprehend everything that's going on, but there certainly seems to be enough smoke going on around the situation where it seems like it's a, it's a big deal. And I did see the other day that the Big Ten served Michigan with some kind of notice, which is like the preliminary step before further action is taken. So it seems like the Big Ten is planning on doing something. Um, And I also heard, uh, did y'all hear about the conference call the other day where all the coaches were on on a group chat with the commissioner and they had Jim Harbaugh? get off so that everyone else could talk about him. <laughs> yeah. <I did. laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so they're like, all right, thanks, Jim. We're going to need you to get off now. And then everyone else These stayed are on. Some of the I'm highest sure. paid adults in the world of sports yeah. doing yeah. this. Yeah. And that's, this is like high school gossip yeah. type stuff. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And I'm sure that Ryan day was probably leading the charge in that call, you know, but um, yeah, I, I don't know, man. I'm, I definitely need more information to come out, but I know that there's, enough around it to where it's a, a wacky but serious situation. Yeah. I think and, the fact that Connor Stallions resigned or maybe they, maybe they forced him to is pr- that was the most damning thing I'd seen so far other than the, the footage of him on that sideline, which was like, <laughs> I was okay. Say. Yeah. Like what in the world is going yeah. on? And then I saw the thing about Purdue. First of all, you know, what my first thought was when I saw that news, I was like, wait a minute, 
Purdue made the Big Ten championship last year. I was like, how did that <laughs> well, happen? It's that other division like, that just has all what? the terrible teams because yeah. Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan are in the same they division. They got to realign that. They do need to realign. <laughs> it is so bad. Yeah, that other division is like between <laughs> yes. Wisconsin and Purdue uh, and Nebraska. Yeah. yeah. It's like uh, but the fact that he, he resigned, a.k.a. got let go, I think is very damning. And, I, and now it seems – I mean, we kind of poo-pooed this the first time we talked about it, but it's – I think this could end up being pretty severe. It'll probably take years like the NCAA does takes with anything, but maybe with the big 10 getting their own investigation going now, that'll expedite it. Cause it but, seems like it's not what Michigan did. It's the links they went to, to do it. That's yeah. right. It's the real so issue too. here. You know what else I think? And the fact this might also be supported by him being him resigning part of me. And I have no idea, obviously, but I, I kind of assumed that maybe they gave stallions free reign to go get this done. And these were some of the ideas that he somehow came up with. I don't know. <laughs> I, I keep brainstorming on how somebody with that program could send him to that sideline. Well, and think that I, they could get first off, I it. think he volunteered no. for some of this. He so he he sold yeah, vacuum cleaners sure. out of his apartment and <clears> got <throat> kicked out of his apartment, uh, evicted for like running a business out of his apartment, and he blamed it on a neighbor who was a Michigan State fan, saying the only reason I'm out of here is because <laughs> a Michigan State fan told on me because I'm a big Michigan fan and. I think he's just one of those dudes who's just yeah. obsessed with the program and is like, yeah. whatever I can do to help. Like, if I can play a role in this team winning anything, like, I will go to the ends of the earth to do it and I will be gladly take the fall and, and just be a martyr in my own mind. <laughs> it's so bizarre. Dead it's so weird. Somebody It'll make fill- a great 30 for 30 one day. <laughs> so, somebody yes, fill me in will. on <laughs> Somebody fill me in on the relationship with Central Michigan and how he got on the sideline. Does anybody know? I have no idea. That's, that's, I, I don't know either. There's details than, on that that I don't know them. Yeah, I've heard that there are people within <clears throat> both of those programs that kind of have ties with each other, which makes sense. Um, you know, with them being geographically close together, and I would imagine that the NCAA is after Central Michigan now as well. They yeah, basically you know, come I would out imagine that that people from Central Michigan are probably trying to jump up to Michigan. Like that's probably happened before and. You know, I'm not not entirely sure, but from I was listening to uh, to Feinbaum the other day, and he had you know one of his national experts on, and they were saying that there are people within both of those programs that have connections, and so that's kind of you know how it happened. And uh, Jim McElwain, who's the head coach now at Central Michigan, was like, "I have no idea how this dude ended up on my sideline, but like we're looking yeah. into it." <laughs> yeah. So it seems like someone, some underling, you know, kind of went behind his back or, you know, whatever, kind of did some, some shady yeah. stuff to, to get this dude on the sideline. So, but I mean, mm-hmm. like I said, he was in gear, had credentials. So like, yeah, unless he, you know, forged all that, somebody, you know, let him in. So that'll be interesting to see too, um, exactly how that transpired. And that's just such a bad look for McIlwain. I, I know on a game day, you're as many people as they allow on the sideline now. I mean, those places are just flooded with people. It'd be yeah. impossible to pick out anybody. I, I can't but at the same them. time, like you're still going to have people come down on you for like, you're supposed to be the head of this program, knowing everything right. that goes on. And now I'm wondering like, are we going to look back on this hmm. and remember Jim McElwain is <laughs> this dude and the dude who took a naked selfie with a shark <laughs> as opposed He's to all the, Definitely always that guy like, first. Which yeah. one? Which That's one would? Foremost. Which one would he rather get rid of? Would he rather get rid of the the shark photo, or would he rather have this incident go away? I, I think it's up to, for debate. 
I'd have to think the shark photo, but this is not a good look either. I don't know. I kind of respect <laughs> it. <laughs> I don't know how you can't. <laughs> I don't know. I can't come down on, on him that hard. There are a million people. Yeah. The sidelines on the game day are just a it's zoo. Ridiculous. Like you said, I mean, yeah. They're, <laughs> yeah. they're recruits. There are VIPs, all sorts of guests. And also, I mean, there's no way. It's probably why they thought this would work. It just so yeah. happened that they threw well, a ball over his head. <laughs> he happened to be right in the shot. It's yeah. kind of crazy. Huh? Yeah. yeah. Well, also, like, what led to. Somebody saying, hey, you need to go check out that Central Michigan, Michigan State game and look at Central Michigan sideline and look for this guy. Like there's people in the know on this that are leading the investigators in the right direction, so to speak. Yeah, Yeah, that's fair. I mean, the Internet's such a crazy place now where they witch hunt so hard that it seems like that's just totally viable that, you know, that would have already like people probably found that themselves and maybe it came to light that way. But. But as you mentioned, that Antonio Pierce, he uh, took over interim coaching job for the Raiders uh, this week, and he did something unique in the NFL that not every team does, and he, he allowed the practice squad players on the sideline for the game, and he kind of just said, these guys are at practice every week, they're in the weight room, they do everything that everybody else does, the only time they're not around us is on game day, so I'm going to let them in on the sidelines, and then he he goes, it got pretty crowded down there, but I was still glad to have them, and that's like 15 people. And if you had 15 people to a 53-man roster, yeah. okay, we're looking at about 70 people now plus coaches. Colleges are way bigger than that. Right. So I'm sure he could blend in pretty easily. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be over 100 people. But, yeah, it wouldn't be hard. Let's stay on college since we're already here. Uh, I don't. Is there any need to talk about these college football playoff rankings? The top eight stayed exactly the same tonight. No, I don't One. think so. I mean, I, I think to me, they're they're almost essentially setting up like play in games where they're saying the winner of this game is going to, you know, uh, going to get in. But yeah, um, no, I, I don't think so. I mean, it, all these different scenarios and stuff that people are talking about, that's all going to play out <clears throat> uh, over time. You know, it, it always kind of sorts itself out. One thing I think that's interesting, and this goes back to last week's rankings that I didn't really, we didn't get a chance, or I just didn't think of it at the time. I kind of look at less about where they're ranked, like, and whether I think they should be there, and more so about, like, what the committee's trying to say about how they rank the teams. I thought it was really interesting that Texas beat Alabama, was ranked above them. Washington beat Oregon, was ranked above them. And yet Oklahoma had the victory on that neutral site and was ranked below Texas. Yeah. And, and the rationale to that would be that Texas's loss was better than Oklahoma's, but they've won the head to head and maybe Texas looks better in the eye test. So that's a pretty slippery slope when you start doing that. You know, this is how Alabama ends up in the national championship over Oklahoma state to play LSU, you know, whether you think that's fair or not, but like, I just thought that was interesting that they really put head to head third on the list of important things there um, or of what they're using to, to make these rankings. I just thought that was kind of interesting. I kind of wanted y'all's take on it. I mean, do y'all think that that's how it should be? Shouldn't head to head, should head to head be the first thing you consider when you have two teams on the slate like that? So let me put it this way. They lost to Kansas. They beat UCF <clears throat> the week before their loss to Kansas by two. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma has just looked they went to Cincinnati, won twenty to six. 
SMU twenty eight eleven. I mean, nothing bad there, but when you coupled the UCF game with that with a Kansas loss, I think anybody would have told you after watching that game, after seeing the season play out, that Texas is better. Okay. And I don't think you can say when you compare Texas Alabama that you I don't think you can make that argument. I think you can make an argument that Alabama's better than Texas, but I think there'd be a lot of people that disagree with you where I think Oklahoma, Texas, no. If they played again in the Big 12 championship <clears throat> and everybody was healthy or the same players that played in the Cotton Bowl were playing in the Big 12 championship, I think Texas would be a decent-sized favorite, and I think everybody would expect Texas to win that game. So the other thing to consider is that Texas also lost their starting quarterback, Heisman contender. Uh, they now have Malik Murphy. So this is also deserves consideration. You're saying that a Texas team that lost their star quarterback now has the backup in there who seems serviceable and pretty good is still worthy of being ranked higher than a team that beat them with their star quarterback. But I kind of agree with you. I just think it's an interesting conversation because the three pieces that we're kind of looking at here are eye test, best win or best loss. Those are kind of like the same thing. You can, and then obviously head to head. And I think I'd probably rank head to head third as well in terms of what's most important when ranking these teams. It's just all, like I said, it can be a pretty, pretty slippery slope when you're doing that. The win, the I, games have to matter too, right? Yeah, so, you're right. See, see, I value head to head more than what you even described. I just, <clears throat> I, I I've been very low on Oklahoma all year. When they lost to Kansas, yeah, me it didn't surprise me at all. And I just, I had no problem with what the committee was doing because I could sit there and look at Oklahoma and Alabama, and you say which which one of those teams has been more impressive, and it's easily Alabama. Yeah. So yeah. having an Alabama in front of Oklahoma makes total sense, but yeah. since Texas beat Alabama, Texas has to be in front of Alabama. Well, then because Oklahoma beat sure. Texas, then then all of a sudden you start shuffling too many teams right there. Yeah. 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 And and I think I think a lot of you know what it has to do with as well is that. I think with how dominant Nick Saban has been at home at Alabama, that Texas going into Bryant Denny at night and winning there, yeah, such a big win, almost Absolutely. you know that that almost counts as like two wins, you know, Steve, as far Steve, as like Steve. big wins goes. Steve Sarkeesian said we've got the best win of the season, and he's absolutely right. Yeah. Nobody's going to beat that win. Yeah, yeah, I agree. This yeah, week, curious to get y'all's take on that. No, I, I think <clears throat> that it's a it's a great point, Brad. Um, hundred percent, and it does make for an interesting discussion for sure. Mm-hmm. And it's one Did of the reasons see- why I'm I'm looking forward to an expanded playoff. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Do y'all see any games this weekend? Most notably, Georgia at Ole Miss. Shoot, Alabama and Kentucky. I'm not discounting that game. Uh, Michigan at Penn State. Uh, Texas at TCU. Uh, those are the big ones that stand out to me, if I'm thinking correctly. I thought Ole Miss was at Georgia. I thought they had to go to Athens. Ole, is that- Ole Miss is at Georgia. Did, okay. I, did I say the other way? Yeah, you said it vice versa. Okay. Um, um, any of those games shake up this picture? I mean, if Ole Miss or, or, or beats, what's the game that's most likely to shake up the picture? I don't know, because if mm-hmm. Ole Miss beats Georgia, that will definitely shake things up big yeah. time. Um, right. But I don't think that's going to happen. Um it could, but th- I feel like this Ole Miss team is probably the best that Lane has had, um, which also makes what Bama did against them even more impressive. Um, yeah. And and Georgia hasn't been quite the Georgia that we're used to seeing, but they still have a lot of dudes <laughs> that are used to winning football games, and they kind of they're showing that they know how to win um, in whatever way is needed. So I think Georgia will probably hang on. I will say 
man, one thing, these these big primetime games that are happening between these Big Ten teams like Michigan and Penn State happening at 11 o'clock is just so stupid. Yeah. I, I, I the, These marquee matchups happening at 11, just something needs to, to give there. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I kind of like the vibe of Big Ten football being early. I sort of agree with you, but I do like that slate for like Brad. How much? How much Big of Ten the reason football. you like that slate has to do with the fact that Michigan and Ohio State is that time every year? Like, if, if Michigan and Ohio State weren't that time, would you still reason. feel that way? <laughs> that's one hundred percent. This is fair. You know, it's just like ingrained in my mind that that's like when the big Big Ten football game happens. But if you're Penn State, it's you tradition. gotta be furious. Tradition. Penn State's whiteout <laughs> night atmosphere is up yeah. there with anybody that's in fair. college footballs. That's fair. And, and for and you I'll, to have to play Michigan yeah. at noon, oh, right, right. I think that's the one to answer your question. Is the what is the biggest needle mover for me? Um, obviously, if Ole Miss beats Georgia, they skyrocket in the rankings. I think that's less likely to happen. But I think Penn State has the most to benefit from this weekend. If they can beat the team that's currently ranked third and having lost on the road the team that's currently mm-hmm. ranked number one, I mean, you're talking about a major, major jump in, this, in, the, in the BCS. I mean, it's not the BCS, the college football rankings, in my opinion. Um, so I think they have the most to gain. I think Ole Miss could beat Georgia and still be like outside, the, like maybe six. I do too. You know, like Penn State could jump pretty high, I think, because they – Knock, they would have to go above Michigan, and then they would, I think, move to the front of the line, honestly, if you look at their quality win and the quality of their loss. What do you call front of the line? Front of the line of the one-loss teams? That's what I meant, yeah. Okay. And I'm going to ask you all a question you will probably don't know the answer to. <laughs> Penn State beats Michigan. Michigan beats Ohio State. What's the tiebreaker there? Who goes to the Big Ten title game? It's conference. Oh, yeah, because then they all have the same record. Uh, there is an answer. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I don't either. either. I can't remember. I think we've been here before, though. Um, hmm. Have we been here where Penn State's only had one loss? Yeah, I want to say it happened not that long ago. Yeah, yeah, we were. I mean, they went to the Fiesta Bowl one year with one loss. Uh, I can't remember if that was when Saquon was on the team or not. They went to the Rose Bowl for Sam Darnold when – Okay. The Saquon year, I know that. Okay. Yeah, I think they went to the festival with one loss one year as well. Regardless, Brad, let, let me ask I'm you this. Sure. Let me ask you this. As an Alabama <clears> fan. <throat> oh, I have you, the answer to the question. It's it's the highest in the rankings. That's how they do it. It's whoever's ranked the highest. I think you're right. Yeah, that's what it is. Yep. And I'm pretty sure this happened one time before. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that'd be interesting, but it's yeah. going to be hard for anybody to get that Ohio State Penn State game out of their head. But if, but if who knows if Michigan Michigan's what a four and a half point favorite this weekend? It seems kind of small, but again, that defense of Penn State's really good. Playing in that yeah. atmosphere is really tough. Yeah, I, I I don't know, but but if Penn State can pull off that win, and let's say Michigan clobbers Ohio State in the Big House, by the way. Then mm-hmm. you've really got something to think about, and we, you start looking at recency bias. So, so much of it is these voters and committee members. They kind of just look at like, all right, my recent memory. I'm giving much more emphasis to what's happened in the past couple of weeks as I am in this game that happened in the middle of October. Man, um, it's so always, that's Penn State's advantage, right there. It's, right there. It's always what have you done for me lately? You know, the that's true. The, the teams that. 
I mean, there, there, you can go to examples of teams that lose late in the year and are still able to get to a national championship game. Um, you know, like for instance, like the 95 or no, 96 Florida, Florida State year where Florida went into Tallahassee and really got kind of smacked around. And then they had a rematch in the Sugar Bowl for the national title and then Florida put it on them. But for the most part, if you're going to lose a game, it's definitely best to lose early. And then kind of, you know, make up for that later on. The the voters tend to be way more favorable to that as opposed to losing later in the year. I'm shocked yeah, as can, an Auburn just fan. Depends. That's the one example you gave, James. <laughs> it depends on the situation. We saw it last year. TCU lost in the Big 12 championship to Kansas State and then didn't drop a single spot. They stayed yeah. right at number three. So, I mean, it just kind of depends. Look, like we always say, this is going to work itself out. Like that was a no-brainer, even though TCU lost. Like they deserve to be in the playoff. They did. Right? I don't think anybody had any debate about that. Yeah. Um, this tends to all work itself out. It could be interesting, though. I, I I hope for that scenario to break out in the Big Ten, though, with all of them beating each other. I just don't see how Penn State scores a point against Michigan. Brad, let me let me ask you this, <laughs> and, then, and then we'll move on uh, off of college football. <clears throat> Who, as a Bama fan? Strictly cheering for what happens in January, or I guess New Year's Eve, whatever it is now. Who do you want to win Ole Miss Georgia game? If it's, I mean, I guess it, I guess it almost doesn't matter. They're going to have to go through Georgia either way to get there. Yeah, but don't They've you want to go? Th- don't you want to go through Georgia? Georgia? Exactly. That's yeah. exactly how I feel. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I guess I guess I don't know that that's going to be a hundred percent necessary. I think if they beat a one loss Georgia, it still holds a lot of value. I'm with um, you, but but if it's if it's up for debate between Alabama and another team, you want the last memory of that committee to Bama beating the two-time national champion, monster-winning streak, number two or number one team in the nation, undefeated Georgia on the last day of the season, and then Bama's clearly going to jump the one-loss team that they just beat. Uh, I'm still I mentioned it on last po- last podcast. I still think there's a scenario out there where all of a sudden you look and. Texas and Alabama are both one loss and they're the number four and five team. And you're just like, son of a B. Yeah. Like this just, how do you put, you can't jump Bama over Texas at that point. I, I mean, guess, I guess you depends. could, but you wow, know, that would be, I guess you it think depends that, on you think they're upset about, is, Col- but... you think they're upset about Colt McCoy getting hurt. <laughs> like, yeah, they're going to really be upset about <laughs> I, that. I'll tell you where I, where I come from though. I know that every Alabama fans priority is championship or bust. But man, I, I care a lot about winning the SEC championship. And if Ole Miss loses, they go to the SEC championship. Like there's, it's no way you can really knock them out of it. And that's important to me. So I'd rather lock up that spot than than have to worry about what's going to have to happen later. You know, like. But but the, but also, Brad, if I get what you're saying, but in order for that to happen, Alabama would have to lose to Kentucky and Auburn to finish the year, and then you're just I like. Get it. Who not 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 <laughs> what no, no, else no. matters? No no no. If jo- Ole Miss beats Georgia, all they would have to do. Oh no, they lost a non-conference game. You're right. Okay, so yeah, they're already in, aren't they? That's good. All right, I didn't even realize it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right, this is a, a good point to transition. Dude, it didn't work. I tried to hit y'all oh, with the transition button, and no. it didn't work. Oh. We practiced it a dozen times before the show. (laughs) And so I've got like a pinwheel of death going by this little board I have (laughs) where I can play noises and we just went for it tonight. Why not? Uh, But there's like a transition sound that I just tried to play. And I'm afraid that 
on the real podcast, I probably hit the button three times and it probably just went. Vroom, vroom, vroom. <laughs> <laughs> so all the listeners are like, yeah, man, we heard it like three times and the three uh, of us are just waiting on it. Yeah. We'll well, find you, you did a pretty good, uh, recreation of that you know if the button's not working you can just do it manually <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll, it's a hilarious uh, sound <laughs> <laughs> we'll think about that for next episode yeah uh nfl is at the halfway point right now what's your what's your halfway point big take james what what's your what's your takeaway from these first two months of football dude i don't know what to think i mean it it almost feels very similar to college football in that, like, I don't know, there's no, like, clear team where it's like, oh, man, this team is just head and shoulders better than everybody else. I thought the 49ers were that team um, until what they've done recently, and I kind of expected the Eagles to be that um, going into the season, and they look very mortal. And, Clark, sorry to bring up what I'm sure was a painful game for you, but, I mean, Dallas had had multiple chances to to beat Philly in their place. Uh, I mean, that was a, a great game. Dallas absolutely belonged on the field with them, so they're every bit as good. So, um, I mean, for me, it's I, – I don't know what to think, man. I, I think it is a legitimate crapshoot as to who's going to win the Super Bowl this year. So there's an interesting stat called EPA – per play and it stands for expected points added per play and they have it for offense and they have it for defense and it's a good way of just kind of measuring how good your offense is and how good your defense is so there's three teams tied I've got like a little graphic right here I'll try to show you all on the screen but you can see where everybody stands the the y-axis is defense the x-axis is offense and there's three teams that are basically tied or very close for offense, expected points added per play. And that's the Dolphins, the Bills, and the Niners. Eagles are right behind. And then right behind them are Ravens, Cowboys, Chiefs. So those are basically the best offenses in the NFL. Well, in terms of defense, expected points added per play, you look, you have the Browns, the Ravens, and then the next tier is Jags, Saints, Cowboys, Chiefs, and then you kind of have it mixed in. So there's a few teams that are really good in both and that have separated from the pack. And it's really Ravens, Cowboys, Chiefs, Niners, Bills, Dolphins, and Eagles that are just in a totally different tier when you combine offense and defense. So that's a weird way to look at it, but that's kind of what a big sample size has told us that these are the contenders. And then the other ones right behind are Jags, Lions, uh, unexpectedly the Vikings and the Chargers are right there, mm. which is kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, going to Dallas real quick. I mean, I'll just touch on that. Mm-hmm. I'm I've never felt so good after a loss <laughs> when seriously, and it because it's not even about the loss. It, it was yeah. the problem earlier in the year was this Mike McCarthy offense and would it be able to really get going? And now I just told y'all that Dallas statistically has one of the best offenses in the league. Dak Prescott the past three weeks has been him and Joe Burrow have been the two best quarterbacks in all of football. Uh, Dak was sensational on Sunday. I, you can nitpick what you want. I don't really care. Um, the offense looks good again. They can move it up and down the field. They can score points. And they've got a defense that on any given Sunday can terrorize you. Um, yeah. They're not as elite as people thought they would be at the beginning of the season. I mean, 
when you lose Trayvon Diggs, it's just going to yeah. absolutely kill you. But yeah, they're right there, man. And now I'm at the point where I'm like, all right, I've seen enough. I don't really care how the rest of the season goes. They're going to be in the tournament. Let's just fast forward to January and take another stab at this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Brad, what's your takeaway from the first half of the NFL season? I mean, I would kind of echo what James said. I mean, the waters, I mean, it's, it's, it's very muddied, right? Like in the AFC alone, there are so many teams that can still viably like jump up and make a run and, and make the playoffs in spite of what we think of them, including teams like the Jets and the Chargers, who I think may end up missing it. And the Texans, I mean, CJ Stroud is unreal. Um, but there are a couple teams that have like, in my opinion, actually started to separate themselves just from watching them. I think, I think right now that the, if I were to pick a favorite to win the Super Bowl, it'd be the Ravens. They just seem to have the most complete team. They have the best defense statistically in the league and they have an offense that's in spite of Lamar, not, you know, it's always the same old story with him, not like lighting it up, like in traditional quarterback waves, their offense is pretty unstoppable. But are you saying that just based on what you've seen this season, are you taking into account, I mean, when a team's won two Super Bowls and been to, what, four AFC championships in a row like the Chiefs mm-hmm. and with the history that Lamar has in the playoffs? and Right. I mean, it, are you going by just off what you've seen this year or are you going full sample size? Because it's just – it's I'm not putting anybody in front of the Chiefs until – honestly, until the Chiefs go down in January. Well then, what's the point of even debate? <laughs> no, no, no. I, no, I see. I, I see no, your I point. think I think there's great. <laughs> there's a great debate to say that the Ravens are absolutely Super Bowl contenders and and could be the Chiefs' biggest threat. But I just don't. I don't see any way you could really make an argument that if your life was on the line and you had to say who wins the AFC this year, Chiefs or Ravens? Like, are you really taking Lamar Jackson and the Ravens over Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs? I could. I mean, we did it in the preseason. Both of us picked the Ravens. So you actually you, – you did not take the Chiefs. My life went uh, on the line. And I picked the Bengals. <laughs> well, that's a, totally that's a totally different conversation. And I think both of those picks – and by the way, the AFC North in general is, is the most intriguing division in the NFL. It's really exciting to see how that's going to shake out. I think the Steelers are probably the biggest pretender, but they've also – until last week, had the second best record, right? Over time mm-hmm. for the lead in the division. I mean, that division is loaded with good teams. Uh, the NFC is a little bit different story. It's like almost hard to find like a, a, a wild card team that you think would have any prayer at all. I guess the Cowboys would be the default answer, and that's certainly understandable. But like the second wild card team, like none of those teams are going to have yeah. any shot in the playoffs, in my opinion. You don't think the Lions um, could could go on a little run? They're I got to win their division. They won't be a wild card team, but I see what you're saying. They'll play in the wild card, but I meant like a non-division winner. In I got you. And even the Saints have been just pretty pathetic in general too. It's hard to find more than four good teams in the NFC, is what I'm trying to say. Um, whereas the, Seahawks, the NFC is just loaded. the Seahawks. I kind of was hoping, and then the past few weeks yeah. they've just really let me down. I mean, and obviously the last thing I'll say is just it's been the Jags have, have come through. Um, they have been very, very good. They've ripped off five wins in a row now, kind of on cloud nine. If they win this weekend, I know the Niners have lost a few recently. That doesn't really take away from how big that victory will be, in my opinion. No, it's huge for the Jags. I'll tell you the other thing about the Jags that I love. Now, granted, two were in their home away from home, but they're 4-0 outside of Jacksonville. 
a team that can go on the road and win, that's a valuable trait for a playoff team. For sure. Um, so that's that's a cool thing to see too. So offense I mean, has got to get better though, because offense static. was supposed to be the strength of the team and the defense has been the strength of the team this year. Not saying that I mean that's a glass half full way to look at it, but yeah. No According doubt to it. a lot of advanced metrics, the Jags have had a below average offense this year and a significantly above average defense. There's no question. There's no question about it. Um, they have to be better. Hopefully the improving the offensive line will will get them there. But that's the good thing. It's the defense that has been great, and we got to get the offense better. Well, we thought the offense was going to be good. So if there's one side yeah. that I was, you know, if there's one side where I'm like, oh, I hope they'll get – I feel a lot more confident that this offense will get better than I would if our defense sucked and we just wasn't playing well. That right? makes Not sense. to mention that you, just, be, you just added a, yeah. one of the best guards in football to the yeah. line of scrimmage. And no question. Throw that in with the weapons that they have and Trevor Lawrence and getting a little bit more experience uh, yeah. with Doug Peterson every single week. Absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. The things that I, I – w- I want to touch on this past week real quick. Mm. CJ Stroud, like you said, it's it's ridiculous. Unbelievable. This is, this is up there with the best rookie quarterback seasons since Dan Marino that we've seen. Um, I, I don't want to compare it to Dan Marino at all, but since Dan Marino's, what was it, 86 season? No, 83 before yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was before 85. That. Um, but I haven't seen anything like it, and it's – I mean, what did he throw for? 475 yards and five touchdowns this week. Game-winning drive. Just ridiculous stuff that you don't see from rookies, and he's doing it week after week. Brad, when he went and trounced your Jags earlier this year in Jacksonville, it was kind of like, that's a pretty ugly loss. And it still is, but it it's not a fluke. No, he did that a, with, what, four okay. backup offensive <laughs> linemen that day? And now he's, he's got his yeah. offensive lineman back, and – you look at the protection he has compared to Bryce Young. It's night and day. That's why I feel bad for Bryce Young because he's going to get these he's going to get these CJ Stroud comparisons at the beginning, and you can't compare anybody to CJ Stroud. I heard Dan Orlovsky the I was other day say, yeah. call CJ Stroud an MVP candidate, and I'm we'll talk about this other guy later, but I'm I'm not I'm just not ready to go there with MVP for CJ or the Wimbanyama MVP in the NBA talks either. But yeah. it's amazing. And then one other thing I just want to mention real quick. We talked on the podcast last week. Josh Dobbs getting picked up by the Vikings. And if anybody could dude. do it, it was him because he's a dude, le- dude's he's a winner. An, he's an actual <laughs> rocket scientist. Um and he he sits there on the sideline and he's getting the uh cadence with the offensive line. The all all five of them are huddled around him trying to get the proper cadence. And he goes in there and scores four touchdowns and has a game winning drive. It's awesome. I don't that's that's not supposed to happen. That's just not. No. I've only seen that like two other times. And one was Josh Dobbs last year on Thursday night football. He didn't win, but he played pretty good with the Titans mm-hmm. just picked him up. And the other was, do you all remember that game? Baker Mayfield, like got picked up by the Rams real quick. And they like threw him in there like two weeks later. And he looked amazing. And that was two weeks. Yeah. This was like two days. So props to Josh Dobbs, props to CJ Stroud. Um, those are just ridiculous achievements that, that, really nobody saw common right yeah i think anything just while we're still on the nfl one other thing i saw an interesting stat the other day about the dolphins um that the dolphins are six and oh against teams with losing records and oh and three against teams with winning records so i think until they can beat um you know some teams that are going to be in the playoffs they're kind of you know more fraudulent than legit 
Um, no, there's there's certified pretenders in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I'll say about them is that, you know, they, and I'm, I'm not a huge scheme guy, but obviously they've been doing some things different in Miami. But these defenses, they get tape on you, they get film on you, and they adapt and they figure that they figure that out, um, yeah, pretty quickly in most cases. Um, I didn't think early on that it would be sustainable for the full length of a season. And now, granted, they've only lost three games, but these defenses they're losing to are good defenses. That, yeah that know how to figure it out. And, and we've seen that where their offense has been, including the Patriots, by the way, who is not, they're not a good team, but they have a good defense and they have good minds running that defense. Um, and they've slowed it down too, uh, despite losing those games. So I think that a lot of what we saw early on was that they were doing some things that people just hadn't seen a lot of teams yeah. do, especially with the amount of speed that they have doing yeah. it. Um, and I just I don't know that that'll be sustainable. And I think in the playoffs, when they're having to pay, play these best, the best defenses in the league, that it'll get exposed. It could, I mean, it could, but it certainly has at this point. Why hasn't Mike McDaniel pocketed more of this stuff? When we were having this yeah, discussion at the beginning yeah. of the year, he had a quote that <clears throat> was pretty awesome at the time, especially when you're kicking everybody's butt. It was something to the extent, and I'm paraphrasing here. I mentioned it on one of the earlier pods that it was if you do things that people have seen before, there's film on it somewhere, they can figure out how to stop it. If you do things that have never been seen before, nobody knows how to stop it. Yeah. And there there's only so many things you can do at that high of level that nobody's ever seen before. I know. Eventually you're gonna run out of them. So what are you doing running all that stuff in September? Like I that's kind of what I like about Kyle Shanahan and some of those other football geniuses those offensive gurus they show you stuff at the beginning of the season that's kind of like eye candy and they're like all right yeah like let's let's pay attention to this so later in the season you've seen that done a million times and then all of a sudden you're like i know it i see it i'm reacting to it it's instinct and then all of a sudden it's a wrinkle off that that they haven't done all season you're like whoa i was not seeing that coming bill belichick was always great at this bill belichick at the end of blowout games he would always change up his tendencies tremendously like he'd like yeah like let's say he if he always threw to the opposite hash in the red zone he would always throw to the nearest hash in the red zone during the blowouts and he would just like pile up those numbers of, of those tendencies so when people pulled out their analytics department and they pulled up those stats and saw everything laid out for them they'd be like all right the patriots only go to the this hash 45 percent of the time and 55 percent the other hash so it's we have to kind of cover both hashes where bill belichick's like no i know exactly what hash i'm going to right. so the the mm. real geniuses play the long game and i'm sure mike mcdaniel's got some of that in them i'm not blaming their losses on him just kind of showing his hand too early in the season but this is a couple years in a row now where we've seen this Dolphins offense fizzles, not the right word, but just slow down significantly as the season progresses. Uh, we'll see. They definitely are more healthy and um, seem to have more talent than they have in years past. But right now they failed all the tests that really matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, let's move it on to what I want to talk about next. Talk some hoops. Hoops. Brad. You're Mr. League Pass. What are you excited <laughs> about right now? I mean, we got to start. I mean, I just will lead off the conversation with what Victor Wimanyama's doing in San Antonio. Uh, went for, what, 38 points the other night? 
kind of exploded after kind of coming on slowly. And, you know, it's interesting. You brought up the, that he's been mentioned for MVP. I haven't really heard that. And I think that would be crazy. What I do think is entirely possible is that he could be a strong, strong candidate for defensive player of the year. Um, I think he's already, I can't remember. I saw the number earlier. He's got like almost 20 blocks already. And there's been like seven games. Yeah. (laughs) It's pretty ridiculous. And uh, he's got a ton of steals too. So um, he's been delivering. And then the other thing too is like, I mean, they've they've now beaten the Suns twice. Uh, And in that second game, I saw a lot of the pregame coverage. Everybody was saying the Suns are going to be out for a vengeance and they put it on them uh, and beat them by double digits. Uh, And he came alive in the end of that first game too, to help them get that win. So it's been pretty impressive so far. I worry about his health. And I also think that they'll probably end up shutting him down somewhere throughout the season as their chances to make the playoffs diminish. I mean, the guy's never played more than 30-something games in a season over in wherever Europe, mm-hmm. whatever league he was in. Um, and he's 7-4. Um, so, yeah, you, you have to, like, ease him into it. Still don't think he has Rookie of the Year locked up for that very reason. I mean, I, I, who does through seven or eight games? But but this guy is every bit as good as we hoped he'd be. I, I do believe that. So um, it's been fun to watch so far. James, I got a hoops question for you. Okay. So <clears throat> the NBA has created this in-season tournament. Yeah, with like the six groups or whatever it is. Yeah. I want to know from <laughs> a non-league pass type of guy, does this move the needle for you whatsoever? I think it's really stupid. <laughs> um I, I I don't understand the need for it. Um, you know, I understand that like, you know, different soccer leagues do stuff like this and all that, but I I don't understand the appeal for it. And I'll tell you, I saw highlights the other night. I think it was maybe the Thunders home court for yeah, this tournament. It's like this yeah. bright blue color with orange on the yeah. side. And like made my eyeballs want to bleed. You know, it's like, yeah. dude, it's that's not, that's, I mean, it reminded me seeing that core reminded me of like the gimmicky stuff that the XFL tried to do, um, you know, back when they were kind of trying to make their name for themselves. I just don't, I don't see the name, the need for it. You know, the NBA is a good product. It's popular. Um, I could understand if it was like the WNBA or something, or even like MLS or whatever, trying to get viewership and all that. But I think the NBA has a, a good thing going. I don't understand why they feel the need to do that, but no, as a, you know, not avid watcher of NBA basketball. I'm not like, oh, I want to really tune in to this in season tournament kind of thing. I don't, I don't really care. Um, so, and and also just just one. I saw one of the players suggest. I forget who it was now, but he suggested that if you win the 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 team that wins the in season tournament should be rewarded with an automatic playoff bid. Absolutely, and it's like it's that like would be cool. You know that just. But then if you do that, if you if you win that, would you just like sit? I, I mean, talk about like load management yeah, and all that, point. you know, good so that's a great um, point. I, I don't know how that would work out. It's, it well, you don't put it, you idea. don't you don't play the tournament in November is your problem right there. Yeah, I guess play that's it right at, play it right after the all star break where teams are kind of gearing up for that. But you have to you have to reward the fans in some way. I yeah. think we talked about this before, but a five hundred thousand dollar 
whatever incentive for the player that does nothing for me watching at home on TV. Right. I don't care to watch my team. I don't, if the Mavs win this cup, I don't care. I right. really don't care. Um, it's about the record and I just don't see it lasting. I think this is one of those experiments gone bad. And that's kind of where I'm at with baseball, where I'm like, all right, baseball, y'all have made all these good decisions recently. They've seemingly all panned out. Like, please don't get full of yourself. Like, please, please, please don't sit there and just say, well, that worked. Let's just keep trying this. Um, we talked about that ghost runner before where they just, uh, or not ghost runner, designated runner, <clears throat> where you just have somebody in your dugout that just runs. And the baseball's literally thrown that idea at the wall and seeing what people think. And I'm seeing, I'm afraid all these other leagues are just, it's so competitive now, as we talked on last week's podcast, that the NFL is even not allowing any of their teams to go on buys during the first week of the NBA season while the World Series is going as well because they just want to squash these other sports. And everybody's clamoring for this small amount of TV or large amount of TV money and trying to get their piece of the pie and their biggest piece of the pie. And I think this is just a way for the NBA to try to do that when really they should be starting around Christmas and ending in July um, and trying to dominate the summer and not going up against – the heart of the NFL season. Um, again, there's that. nothing in it for these teams. I mean, there's nothing in it for these fan bases. So what's the point? Yeah. So, I mean, a few things, one, you hit the nail on the head, right? Now you can make the debate that the NBC, NBA season starts too early and there would be nothing I could really say to that. But the general idea behind this is that their viewership is at its lowest pre Christmas. So they're trying to generate some viewership. So that all makes sense. Um, second of all, James, you're right. I, I've seen most of the courts in action and actually watched like the games take place on them. It's very, very difficult to watch yeah. basketball on those courts. Too much. It's like sensory overload. It's, it, it hurts your eyes. You can't even make out all the action, honestly. Um, the last thing I'll say, though, is we really don't have any precedent. I think it's way too early to say it's a failure or, or that it works um, because we haven't really seen – so here's my, my take on it. One, I think if the players care about it, that'll translate. And the fans will care about it. So we just got to kind of see how they ultimately, whether they actually care about this thing or not. I don't really know. I don't know if y'all have heard of any players go on record as saying they do or they don't. But if they go for it and they really want to win this thing, I promise you the fans will will soak that up and they'll, they'll want it too. Um, the other thing too that I think is kind of interesting, and I don't know how well it translates, but I'll just point this out, is college basketball also does these little in-season tournaments. And there is a strong, strong correlation. I can't. I wish I had the number. I tried to find it because I thought we might have this conversation, and I couldn't find it. But people that win the NCAA tournament, there's a sh- really high percentage of those teams that have won an in-season tournament that season. So there's this big translation between doing that and then be having success in the NCAA tournament. Now, I, I, the one thing that makes it hard to translate to the NBA is that you play seven-game series versus a one and done scenario in this tournament. Yeah. In the first but, round, of the NBA tournament, you're playing your first round opponent, and then you play three normal games. And then all of a sudden, right. oh, it's tournament day again. And the players are like, wait, yeah. wait, tonight's a tournament so game? Oh, yeah. So they may have stupid pain on the court. <laughs> yeah. They may have to adjust that in some way. But I'm just saying there's these strange correlations between this kind of thing wind up ultimately correlating to success down the road in college basketball. I don't know if it'll translate at all to the NBA, but my point to all that is. We hadn't seen it yet, so it's that's, hard that's to fair. make a, a there, there, We haven't seen what kind of 
importance or significance this thing will have. And again, I just keep going back to if the players get fired up about it and want to win that. I'm thing, with you. That will matter. I think that's right. Trust me. You will buy in. If Luca is screaming, wanting to win this thing, you will care. No, no, no. Now that's, that's, that's a different you thing will. right there. That's a different thing. I want, I want Chet Holmgren screaming. He's going to win it and being like, all right, these cute little thunder guys who haven't done anything like, yeah, that'd be a great way to announce themselves to the world. Go for it. If Luca, who has won world cups and FIBA and all that stuff and Euro cup or whatever it is, what yeah, he's that's doing fair. at age 18. Maybe that was the best example. Yeah. I'll tell you what though, I will say this. I, I took a little shot in our basketball thread the other day at a couple of our friends that are fans of teams that don't necessarily win a lot. Deserve that it. is also that was also a, like a genuine sentiment. Like there are fan bases that have not and do not look like they will win a championship or even do well in the playoffs anytime soon. So this could be something they can and trust me, we will make fun of them if they get excited about winning the NCAA <laughs> tournament. We will. But at the same time, it That's could be something point. for these fan bases to rally around. Um, and again, we just don't know right now, but I think that that could be the case. I tell you, to what, me, what Clark needs to really get into this tournament is for Dirk to show up, like run, running now around we're shirtless. <laughs> you now know, we're talking like during a tournament, you know, yeah. when the yeah. other team's having to call a timeout to stop a run, and Dirk's like getting the crowd fired up and shooting the t-shirt cannon into the crowd and all that. James, it's funny yeah. you mentioned that. Do y'all know what I was doing before this podcast began tonight? No, no Lord. No. So on like ESPN three or something like that, there was celebrity doubles pickleball. Oh, awesome. And it's the first thing I see on my television. And I mean, it couldn't be a worse thing to watch, but then all of a sudden I see Dirk <laughs> and I'm like, okay, baby. How are you supposed to pass that what, guy on a pickleball let's court? Let's see what he's Dude, got. Dude, no, that's not even fair. I've played tall people in pickleball. It's impossible if they get up to the net. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, like, he doesn't have to fair. move. He that's doesn't have to move. Yeah, you can't get it past yeah. him. Was that's he killing I saw, it? I saw clips he's of, killing uh, of He's a great tennis player. I saw that clips of Gronk playing pickleball and same thing. It's like, dude, that's just unfair. They like, can reach everything. the whole court. Yeah. And he's got great hands, you know, like unfair. Yeah. Hold on. I want to talk about something real quick. James, you're a tennis player. What are your thoughts on pickleball? Mm, like as I, a recreational <laughs> activity? I feel like it's it's giving up. <laughs> Thank you. That's how I feel too. It's a game made for uh, 60 and 70 year olds who don't want to run around a tennis wait court a minute, anymore. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let it's me say my something. personal view on it. Amen. It is kind of like giving up because I had to give up on tennis. But for those of us that suffered severe injuries playing tennis, <laughs> it's all your I mobility got. is limited because you got hurt on a tennis court, yeah. and so you want to cover, you know, cover less. less I guess that's now, the exact definition. I will say, I mean, I mean, tennis, I mean, pickleball. So, Brad, I don't know if y'all did or not, but at St. James Fraser Campus, we played pickleball in PE. Hmm. Did y'all? Oh, really? When you were, no. Are you no, serious? I don't, yeah, I don't and, remember that. And if we did. Were, you, were you all like the founding fathers Dude, of pickleball? I don't know because we were going, hey, this Dude, game's they've been playing fun. this in country clubs since the 80s. And then, <laughs> and then, you know, didn't hear anything about it after like sixth grade. So we're talking like, well, that's like 1996 or seven for me, you know? So literally go like however many years. And all of a sudden pickleball has just exploded. And it's like, dude, where did this come from? But I, I get why people enjoy it. You know, it's it doesn't take a whole lot of equipment. It's you can set up on and have multiple courts on a tennis court and all that. But 
Yeah, yeah. I, I view it as it's it's kind of given up. <laughs> but I just know a lot of the people who play it are people who used to be in men's and women's tennis leagues and team leagues. And if you want to sit there and it come out and admit it that my athleticism has gone down, my body hurts, I need to switch <laughs> off this, then I'll give you a pass. But if you're just sitting there saying like, nah, man, like I'm just dropping the tennis racket for some pickleball. Like there's, that's where I, that's where you lose me. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I've played tennis. I've played racquetball. I've played pickleball. Tennis is a very difficult sport. And if you suck at it, I can understand why you want to play pickleball because if you suck at tennis, there, it's just going to be very quick points and there's just yeah. not much going on there. Racquetball is racquetball about is awesome. as Racquetball is fantastic. Just yeah. high speed, nonstop action. I've never played it. It looks intense. Dude, it's just, fun. just letting your just you emotions and tippers fly. Yeah. Yes, I mean, it is. It's it's like cathartic. Yeah. Um, and then and there's pickleball. Then there's pickleball where it's you see like two mixed doubles teams playing each other. It's like a 19 year old kid with his mom, and then like a 40 year old, do- and it's just it almost just evens the playing field too much. It's like is if this is really a competition. There should be an advantage somewhere, but I feel like it. Everybody's on an equal playing field, and maybe that could be an argument for it. And I get that, and I'm, I, I do agree that it's fun. But now, nah, if you've played either of the other sports, you, you can't. The, no, nah. the other thing about it too is there's just less of a learning curve, right? Like one of the hardest yeah. things in tennis when I was trying to learn was just to I couldn't serve. I couldn't serve yeah. the ball yeah, <laughs> over, the, over the net and in play. Whereas you know pickleball, you just kind of pat it over the net. Well, that's my argument you're, for you're racquetball. Rolling. <laughs> like you, you can't know? hit it out in racquetball right yeah 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 so um, you just unleash I, I will say what one other thing that pickleball has going for it that i've seen is like it's one of the few sports that you can play like while drinking a beer you know so like you, there you go feasibly you go. could like have a beer in your offhand and and like <laughs> be playing and just use that one i mean so I get, I mean, I see people at the country gloves and stuff who are like, you know, drinking pretty heavily while they're playing. So, you know, I, I get that, um, that aspect of it, but mm-hmm. yeah, as a, as a, you know, someone who plays tennis, I wouldn't say I'm a good tennis player, but as someone that enjoys playing, I mean, tennis, you play in a league as an adult, you play tennis. Yeah. Yeah. What's your record this year, James? Real quick. Dude, I've been struggling in the, I got bumped up. Oh, to four, no. um, and man, it's a, it's a different ball game. I think I'm uh, the big boys. Yeah. I think I'm one in four this fall. Oh no. When at three, five Clark and I talked a little bit about it. I was on a run. I went almost a full, like fall to fall season. So almost like a calendar year without losing a match. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So it was on a good run that got me bumped up to four Oh and I have mm. been humbled quickly, <laughs> but it's still fun, you know, and it's, it's making me better for sure. But sure. Yeah. It's a lot more fun to win than lose. James, yeah. I, grew, I grew up playing a lot of tennis and my mom was in league tennis and so were my friend's parents. And they'd always, I'd always get mad at them because we'd want to, play these marathon tennis matches just all day, pull to tennis court, pull to tennis court, pull to tennis court. And then all of a sudden the league people would take over, um, kick us off the courts, but you'd watch some of it. And I just always remember saying as a kid, I'd be like, these three, five people suck. 
And then all of a sudden, I, I, I'd, look, I'd look at the four O people, and I'm like, all right, those guys are pretty good. Yeah. The, leap, the leap from three five to four O seems huge, man. Yeah. Like it seems really big. You know, so when I came back and started playing, I was a three O and was like smoking people out there. the The USTA has a website. You like answer these questions, and it kind of rates you based on your answers. So it rated me as a three O, and it was pretty apparent, you know, from from a, an early <laughs> yeah. early time that I was better than a 3-0. So like I'm smoking these people and then jump up to 3-5. And there is a little bit of a difference, but it's not that big, Clark. So you're you're that's pretty accurate, Clark. But then when you jump from a 3-5 to the 4-0, that's a pretty big jump. And uh, <laughs> and even I, I played in a couple of matches that were 8-5 mix, so that's a 4-0 and 4-5 paired together. And then that's even a whole nut like I don't belong on the court at that <laughs> when, when that happens. Um, you know, yeah. I grew up being better at singles. And so playing doubles with those guys that are really good four O's and then four or five players, like their hands are just on a different level than mine are, but it, it's still yeah. fun. But yeah, usually my partner's like, how do I get stuck with this? Like, why is this guy out here? And why am I playing with him? Especially when some of those like four or fives are better serving. And then all of a sudden, like, yeah. you're like, Man, I haven't had a return to serve like this one. I used to go up to a little family camp uh, when we were kids, and that was back when I was playing a ton of tennis. And I had a really big serve; mm. couldn't always get it in, but when it was firing, it was hard to stop. And there were like it was this uh, community tennis tournament. It was like this; just uh, everybody lived in cabins all around the lake and uh, tennis courts. And then all of a sudden, we just had a community tennis tournament, and you'd play against women, children, men. And whoever won won. There'd be some pe- some people and some women and some three O's and three five men that I'd serve, and all of a sudden they'd just turn their back to the mm-hmm. serve and just like try to get out of the way. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I would be doing for sure. But, but last thing, <laughs> last thing I'll say about pickleball though <laughs> is those people are absolutely obsessed. When yeah, I wrote yeah. for the paper, the amount mm-hmm. of pickleball people that would call me as the sports writer and saying you've got to do a pickleball story. You've got to do it. And they would never, ever leave me alone. And then finally, (laughs) like I wrote like a little bit, like a little feature about it. And like, no, 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 no. We need way more than a feature. We need you like talking to the mayor and getting lines painted on all the tennis courts. Like matter of fact, let's get rid of the tennis courts. Let's just build pickleball courts everywhere. We need the rec center on this. We need the mayor. We need town council. Like we need to turn this into just pickleball courts everywhere you look. Oh, May Park's dedicated for a dog park. No pickleball like tennis courts <laughs> are dedicated for this no pickleball yeah and they yeah. just would not relent and that was like when it was first taken off and now every tennis place you go every rec center you go it's i was everywhere. at the y yesterday and the basketball it's court just shut down for all these pickleballers yeah. that are coming in on the gym floor and playing <laughs> yeah yeah so it's definitely an obsession pickleballers it's... y'all got anything to say we'll have you on a guest <laughs> next week and you can defend yourself yeah, yeah. i know there, there are going to be some people who are listening to this and they're going to be like oh we love pickleball I can't believe they're crapping on it. Yeah, um, one of them's related to me, so sorry. <laughs> hey, I, I will say real quick to get back to the basketball talk. Um, Brad, you, you kind of mentioned an interesting point of, um, you know, with the in-season tournament and everything and how college basketball does that. But I think the appeal of why when college basketball does that is that you get to see teams that otherwise don't play. play. So you get like right. the SEC Big 12 Challenge or no doubt about it. the ACC Big 10 or even like, you know, Clark and I were talking about the Alaskan shootout and the ones that are oh, yeah. in the Bahamas and all that. And you get to see like Duke and UConn and, 
you know, whoever go and play and they're just not going to be on each other's regular season schedule. So I think that that's one, and, and that's not the NBA's fault, but it's just when you only have 30 teams as opposed to 120 or 140, whatever it is, you know, they're in division one college basketball, um, having some of those marquee matchups that aren't going to normally happen, make those in season tournaments a lot more appealing and fun to watch. Yeah, I agree. Do you want to hear a cool stat? Always. Sure. So I have to look it up real quick because I've had it off the top of my head, but now I want to just make sure I get it correct. But long story short, Nikola Jokic last night passed LeBron in triple doubles, which I thought was Mm -hmm. just crazy. Yeah. Nikola Jokic is fourth all time in triple doubles right now. He is, Brad, what is he, 29? 28. He did, I, I saw that same stat where he did it in however many less games than yeah. it was. I mean, he's a decade younger than yeah. LeBron, and LeBron is like the triple-double king. Yeah, I, I think he'll break off. What is Oscar? Do you have it in front of you, the list? I do. So, What's, Oscar, what's Oscar's well, record? Well, here's a, you're forgetting about somebody. Russell Westbrook has the record at 198. Oh, he broke the record. That's and right. Oscar Robertson's 181. And then in third place, Magic Johnson, almost 50 behind at 138. So Oscar yeah. Robertson and Russell Westbrook are way ahead of everybody. Magic, there's huge separation between him and fourth, which is now Joker. Uh, there's 30 triple doubles separating those two. Then LeBron and Jason Kidd are tied at 107 at fifth. And then you have an even bigger drop off. The one after that is Wilt Chamberlain at 78. So that's 29 below that. So you basically have like a 50 triple double gap between two and three, a 30 triple double gap between three and four and another 30 triple double gap between four and seven. Wow. Yeah, so I guess maybe he won't break the record. I mean, he's young. He's 28. But, I mean, do we expect Jokic to play into his late 30s? I don't know, or at least well. No, he's going he's to win the title this year, and he's going to go tend to his horses. Yeah, he'll be gone in his early 30s, I'd <laughs> he imagine. He absolutely so, will. I totally forgot Russ broke the record just a couple seasons ago. Hmm. And then you have Luka sitting there at 58 triple-doubles. All right. Yeah, <laughs> just... that number will, will skyrocket. He'll get into the triple digits for sure. Yeah. Oh, get into the triple digits. I mean, he, he's he'll have, get, he'll have a better shot than Jokic for sure at getting to 200. I think he'll outdo Westbrook because Westbrook at yeah, least had might. to Westbrook at least had to have some allow some other people on his team to get some stats for a big part of his career. Where I don't know if Luke will ever have to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that I don't know. I mean, the triple double is dependent upon teammates with assists, they got to make shots for so. sure, but he. I mean, I Russ has been on some good teams. He has. And they've always let Russ and Luca both in players where they're just kind of like, all right, everybody just clear out and let this guy get the <laughs> rebound so he can have the ball in his I, hands and bring yeah. it up court. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. If you want to count somebody's like, it, it, when somebody gets a triple double and they finish with like 12 rebounds, especially if they're these point guards, like go back and look at it and count the rebounds that were actually contested. And you're going to mm-hmm. be like, all right two were contested and 10 were just like, all right, everybody let him get the ball and take it up court. Still counts, mm-hmm. but I'll take it. Especially when yeah. uh, it's on my fantasy team. Um, <laughs> guys, we do have to talk about. Let's baseball. go. <laughs> I say, we got to, man. Congrats, buddy. Yeah. yeah. So good. I'm really disappointed awesome. that, um, that the Rangers didn't sweep. Like I predicted that they would. 
You did. Mm, you had to did. go and drop that. Drop game they they two, middled which, all of us. We we picked six. You picked which four. Which coincidentally and, was the one game that Clark went to. It's the one that they lost. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> That's the most bittersweet part about all this. I mean, they lose one game en route to win the World Series. So I've, I've smacked by nine, nine to one. At the one I've already just like kind of like rewrote this story in my head to where it's like, first off, it was a, it was a two to one game after six innings. So it was yes. tight. I got the experience. And I will say this was the night after Corey Seager and El Bombi's huge home runs that are yeah. two of the biggest home runs in world series history. No doubt. And my dad and I, and my cousin got to the park really early and we went inside and we were like, screw sitting outside of the bars and drinking beers out here. Let's go in the stadium and order our beers in there and just soak it up. And the atmosphere in that place the night after those home runs was just something like I've never seen Buzzing. before. Da- Dallas That's has cool. like a very wine and cheese crowd. And even game one, I'm sitting there. I'm like, guys, get it together. Like this is the world series. Like make some noise, stand up when there's two strikes, like be appropriate sports fans. And I was kind of going into game two thinking that that's how it was. Granted, I was in the outfield. I may have been with a different uh, type of crowd, so to speak, even though for a World Series game, like nobody's getting a $50 ticket to that one. But long story short, I thought the crowd was amazing. Um, Rangers finally getting it done, man. Getting 2011 just out of our system. Yeah. Um, The biggest choke in World (laughs) Series history. I don't know if it'll ever be topped at – and to get rid of that, win your first ever title. I want to read a text message I got from one of our uh, listeners, actually, because um, I think it'll create some good discussion. But he sent me this text message after the Rangers won. So he's a Braves fan. He's seen World Series wins before. Pardon my language. I'm going to talk like Brad for a second. And I quote, <laughs> A World Series win is so fucking good. It's such a slugfest to get to it and typically a very invested watch. The relief of the win is unlike any other sport, I think. And that resonated with me because I completely agree with it. We talked about how the Braves went into this postseason and how they have what happened in their 90s. You can go up in the sport of baseball against anybody. And it doesn't matter who you're playing that team can beat you on that day and that team can beat can win three out of five or they can win four out of seven. Mm-hmm. So that's why after each round of the playoffs, people who don't follow baseball don't understand this. That's why they're popping the champagne and they're celebrating like crazy. Right. If, if LeBron James goes and beats <clears throat> LaMelo ball in the first round of the playoffs, yeah. he's not popping champagne. You, now, honestly, the NBA because of the way they've done things, it is getting a little bit more, there is more parity now. So the, you do get a little bit better first and second round matchups, but throughout our entire lives, the first round of the playoffs has been meaningless. Nothing has ever happened in the first round of an NBA playoffs that has actually impacted who, who's won the title up until recently. Um, so baseball, you're sitting there going into every series, no matter how big a favorite you are, just not knowing what's going to happen. Hockey's probably the same way. I'm not a hockey fan. We talked about the Bruins having the best record in the NHL in NHL history and losing the first round to an eight seed. Um, hockey's another one of those sports where on any given night, any given series, somebody can win. But baseball, man, you're just riding these highs and these lows all throughout mm-hmm. the postseason, all throughout these games. I mean, take game five, for instance. The Rangers are getting no hit into the seventh inning 
yeah, of yeah. a clinching game of a World Series. And Nate Avaldi had gotten out nine different bat, nine different Diamondbacks batters when they had runners in scoring yeah, position. They had so many chances and just couldn't push it across. It was like watching Team USA first, like Brazil in the World Cup, where Brazil just had possession the entire time, was getting yeah. shot on goal, shot on goal, and shot on goal, and the score just remained zero zero. And you're like, how can we keep fending these people off? It's a good comparison. And then Corey Seager ends up. Uh, they do the shift on Corey Seager. He hits a ball off the end of the bat down the third base line to where no third baseman is. Finally gets on base. And that's what started our rally to get one, one, one run across. And then obviously we had that big ninth inning. But man, seeing all these videos of all these Rangers fans, 52 years, the broadcast kept saying longer than that, but they've been in Texas 52 years of just having these reactions when they win. There's an article, there's a writer that I follow called Jamie Newberg and he writes for Dallas magazine. And there are very few people that are fans of anything as this guy is the Rangers. And he kind of built his fanhood through his dad. And he goes to the game in Phoenix in game five. And somebody takes out their phone. A fan does because they recognize him in the stands and they film him for the final out. The final out is made. Everybody's sitting there just losing their minds because a bunch of Rangers have flown, Rangers fans have flown in that night. And he just sits there and like puts his fist in his mouth and is just sitting there like emotionless. And that's like exactly how I was when the final out was made. Like I just like leaned forward, like put my elbows on my knees and like my head in my face and just like looked at I like I'm getting choked up right now and just like looked at the TV. And I'm just like, this actually happened. And it's like yeah. all that pain and frustration that you spent watching that team, wondering mm-hmm. if they were ever going to win. And it all comes out right there. And it, there's something about that first one that's just incredible, man. It's just incredible. And obviously, I'm going to want to go back next season and do it all over again and be proud of wearing that Rangers hat everywhere. But it'll never be like the first one. Mm-hmm. My dad told me after the game he was like i sat in bed with your mother after 2011 game six now granted there's still another game left to play in the world series if we win our next baseball game we are world series champions and after game six he looks at my mom and he's like at this time he's like i'm 65 years old like i'm never going to see them win a Mm -hmm. world title Mm -hmm. and now all of a sudden at 77 Mm -hmm. years old we've done it and Mm -hmm. seeing all these videos of rangers fans have the exact same reaction 600,000 people came out in Arlington for that parade. Yeah. Uh, this is not downtown Dallas. This is in the middle of like the Metroplex, which it's pretty far away for everybody. And to see this fan base that nobody even thought of cared about baseball react like that, it just shows you what everybody's been through for this long. So, yeah. Man, it's just awesome. It's a beautiful thing. It is. It awesome. is. I, I tell it you, is too, beautiful. man, um, Clark, as you know, with us, both or really all of us loving baseball the way that we do. I think that baseball may be the most exhausting sport to watch as a fan because every pitch is so big. There are so many huge moments where a game can change and given, I mean, same thing, you know, with the football game. Yeah. Big play can happen at any time, but there are just so many huge moments that define a ball game and it can, you know, it, it can happen at any time. And not only that, but they're not being, a, there's no running the clock out in baseball. You have to get 27 outs. And a lot of times <clears> that 27th <throat> out is the hardest one. And as you've mentioned before in 2011, you know, the Rangers had it down to the final strike multiple times. And still, you know, the game's not over at that point. So I think that, you know, as a fan watching your team play for it, 
there are just so many high tension moments that yeah that you're right it's a sense of relief because i mean it's just been you know three hours of just nonstop nerves um unless you do yeah. happen to get like a 10 you know 10 one game or whatever but for the most part those games are tight and uh and yeah man the drama is high and that's part of what makes postseason baseball so awesome yeah and to piggyback on that like baseball is such a grind to just even score a run it's the only sport I can really imagine of where you can dominate offensively and potentially not even score a run. You can load the bases every single mm-hmm. inning and get that last out, and they don't get on the board. You know, there's no other sport that's really like that. Yeah. Um, maybe football if they're driving up and down the field and they just can't convert it into a field goal or touchdown. But, like, it's not the same, right? And then conversely, like, you could be pitching a gym, kind of like you were talking about in game five, um, can't get on the board at all but your offense has only been able to produce two runs and then they get two runners on late in the game and one swing of the bat. All of that eight innings of progress of domination is just whisked away in an instant. Um, That's probably the best game Zach Gallon's ever pitched. Zach Gallon's pitched a ton of awesome games. Yes. Dominating. And and Um, as a matter of fact, to piggyback off your comment, Nate Avaldi, who won that game, who matter, who by the way finished with five wins in the postseason, started yeah. six games, all six the Rangers won, just ridiculous. Nate Avaldi's biggest game ever before that was in the twenty, was it eighteen World Series against the Dodgers, where he came in in extra innings against the Dodgers and pitched six scoreless innings in extra inning play where basically he went out in the bottom of the extra inning, knowing that if he gave up one run every inning, he was going to lose that game. And then, uh, God, I'm drawing a blank. What is his name? Still plays for the Dodgers. Now really good home run hitter. Can't do much. Max Muncy finally gets Mm. him in like inning 16 (laughs) and hits a walk off on him. So the, the game that Nate Avaldi is, been most remembered for as his best ever outing was getting a walk-off home run hit against him in the world series to lose the mm. game yeah and Unreal. that's what baseball is it's like sometimes you, your best is going to be remembered <laughs> like that yeah 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 well that's, that's exactly you know um i i was a, a kid at the time i mean i i vaguely remember it but i had a vhs tape to where and i guess i'm a glutton for punishment because i rewatched and rewatched it but you know the braves in 1991 against the Minnesota Twins, they went to game seven. They lost one nothing in a 10-inning game. Um, mm. John Smoltz threw nine scoreless innings. And who was it? Jack Morris Jack for the Morris. Twins threw 10 scoreless <laughs> innings. Uh, and then, you know, of course, the Twins broke through and scored one in the, in the bottom of the 10th. But, I mean, talk about just, just heartache. But, again, that was, you know, they, Smoltz for the longest time talked about that you know, that, that haunted him because he did everything that he could do. And it still, you know, what wasn't enough. I mean, wasn't he kept enough. his team in the yeah. game, but he couldn't do anything to win the game for him, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, we've yeah. seen it so many times. I thought one of Pedro's gutsiest outings ever was 2003 in the ALCS in game yeah. seven, where he goes six innings and then Grady Little decides to send him back out there for the seventh. And who was it? Matt Suey rips that ball off of him. And they yeah. like lose that lead. And it's like, this was the game that I've been waiting for Pedro Martinez to appear in his whole career. And he comes out and he's awesome. He's awesome. And my lasting memory of that game is like Pedro blew it. And he, yeah. he really didn't blow it. He just 
the other pitcher pitched good too, and it was a tight game. And then all of a sudden, somebody finally got to him. Right. And yeah. that's exactly what happened to Zach Allen. And honestly, it couldn't happen to a better guy in Nate Evaldi. Um, Mike Maddox, after the game, the Rangers pitching coach, I thought he put it perfectly. He was like, Nate Evaldi was a traffic cop tonight. Uh, <laughs> just kept letting people on the base pass and just would not let them yeah. around. Yeah. Right. Um, so good on him. I do want to finish off the baseball conversation. I want to get y'all's take on something real quick. So we're entering the off season. Let's just put a bow on this whole baseball season real quick. We'll talk about hot stove as it approaches. Um, but there's some pretty interesting free agents out there this year. Obviously none more important than Shohei Otani, but there's a guy named Jim Bowden who is a 13 year, like MLB GM. He's got a really good pulse on it and what's required for money, who has needs where. And also like he just is friends with a lot of these front office executives and has picked their ear on where he thinks particular free agents are going to end up. So he made some predictions and I want to go through his top five with y'all and just see what y'all think and how this would shake up. So his first prediction is that Shohei Otani and I quote, will surprise many by signing with the world champion Texas Rangers. And it makes sense. Whoa. The Rangers have a, wow. as we've talked about on this podcast, you have Marcus Simeon, who's going to finish third in the AL MVP. Corey Seager is going to finish second in the AL MVP. And then all year long, they've had this hole at number three, where they're just kind of rotating players in and out with El Bombi batting fourth. You got to find somebody to protect Seager. You just do. And what better player than Shohei Otani? So the Rangers could have the third place AL MVP uh, finisher, the second place AL MVP finisher, and the AL MVP one, two, three next year. Wow. Uh, number two, he predicts, and here's where it really gets interesting. He predicts that Aaron Nola signs a five year, $125 million deal with the Dodgers. He goes, this will happen immediately after the Dodgers find out that they lost out on Shohei Otani. If you're a Braves fan, like, what are you thinking there? Because the Dodgers are the most talented team, but as we've talked about, they've never had the really, or they didn't have the rotation this year to really do any damage to the playoffs. You hurt the one team that's been getting you, but on the other hand, you load up the team that <laughs> with the high ceiling. That's kind of damned yeah, if that'd you be do, a problem. if you don't. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's a wash. I'd almost rather him go to L.A. than be in Philadelphia. I think I probably obviously. would too, honestly. But but let's not forget the Dodgers, you know, they're going to get a lot of their st- – actually, I don't know their timetables or how long they're all supposed to be out, but I would assume that most of those guys that were hurt. Going you're going to get Walker Bueller back. Dustin May, you're not going to get back. He he had Tommy John. Um, okay. I don't know when exactly he had it. Yeah. This is about a year, right, for yeah. recovery. Urias, you're probably not going to get back. Um. Yeah, he's that's a different ball game. Yeah, that is him and Wander Franco are in a bad boat. <laughs> All right, let's keep it going real quick, and I'll just finish with the top five, and then we'll move on. Actually, I'm going to go six because I want to talk about one player. Uh, <laughs> number four, he said the Phillies, after falling short in their attempts to bring back Aaron Nola, quickly pivot and land lefty Jordan Montgomery on a five-year, mm-hmm. 127 million dollar contract. And that's where a lot of the Rangers fans stand right now. We don't think that Jordan Montgomery is going to come back. We think he just priced himself out in September and October with how well he yeah. played because right. the Rangers are already don't are, are already allotting so much money to Nate Avaldi, Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer, where it's like, all right, like 
do we really want to give it out another huge contract to another starting pitcher in their 30s? Or do we want to see how our minor league system does, some of those arms do, how Scherzer and DeGrom bounce back? Hopefully you get DeGrom back around August, September, and then maybe at the trade deadline, trade for like a third or fourth starter. Mm-hmm. Um, but already, like these four moves, I think, are making the baseball season better. And then the Yankees pull off a blockbuster trade with the Padres to land three-time All-Star Juan Soto. And the reason I like this one is because, did y'all hear about the news about the Padres last week? No. So they took out a $50 million loan just so they could meet payroll. What? And this was the team that, you know, went out and spent money more than anybody. And now Mm -hmm. they're having to take $50 million out just to meet payroll. So how do you afford to pay Juan Soto next offseason if you're taking out loans for payroll? Might as well trade him either this offseason or at the trade deadline next year and get the biggest haul we've seen in a trade package that maybe we've ever seen. Cause we were kind of expecting it with Shohei. And I mean, how often is a 24 year old guy who's compared to Ted Williams on the trading block? Hmm. And then the last one, uh, he said, New York turns around and inks Yoshinobu Yamamoto to a seven year, $211 million deal. If you haven't heard this guy, he's a 25 year old from Japan. Uh, awesome starting pitcher teams are going to be fighting over him like crazy. Uh, and then last but not least, I, I went through this article. I just wanted to see what they thought the Braves were going to do. Um, really, nobody's expecting the Braves to do much. What would y'all think about Charlie Morton and them opting in to Charlie Morton and giving him $20 million? Did y'all like that, or would y'all to let Charlie Morton, Charlie Morton walk for that amount of money? Uh, I think they need more depth on the starting pitching staff, so I'm fine with Or they need that depth. On the, yeah. st- on the staff. So I'm, I'm definitely okay with that. Uh, that third, I mean, the third guy, I mean, maybe Kyle Wright comes back and he's healthy, but like they need somebody else behind those, for those top two guys. Yeah. I'm also hearing Lucas Giolito could be a possible Braves guys, a uh, number four or something like that. Yeah. I'd be okay with that. And then one, one other name and we'll wrap up the baseball conversation that I'm hearing with the Braves is, as an Eddie, Eddie Rosario replacement is uh, Lourdes Gurriel. And I think that'd be Ooh, come really on. good, man. Let's you put go. him in left field, Yeah, that'd be a pretty dang good outfield, man. <laughs> um, that'd be an upgrade over Eddie. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned it, though, because I will miss Eddie, man. He provided me my – I mean, I talked about it, whatever it was, two weeks ago. My favorite moment as a Braves fan. You hate to see those guys walk away. Now that team's already just two years removed. You know, the NLCS and World Series MVPs are off the roster. The, the guy that won the MVP that year is off the roster. And Freddie and Jorge Soler and now Eddie. Um, I mean, obviously, they have plenty of ammunition, but it's funny how, like, quickly these baseball teams, like, reshape their identities. I mean, Soler was just a, a rental, and he just produced. Yeah, but, he was like, awesome. Those other two guys were major parts of that team's identity. Uh, or beca- Eddie became that way after that moment, but. I hate to see him go. Solaire opted out too. How would y'all feel if the Braves brought him back? He'd be expensive. Back. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I, you know, I don't know as much about the finances for what they like can do and how it will impact the rest of like them fielding their team. But I mean, y'all are paying Ozzy Solaire, peanuts man. for the next like half yeah. decade. I mean, really? Yeah. I, I love Solaire. I would say player. Alex Anthonopoulos or however you say his last name 
Um, it seems like 95% of his moves work. So I'm, yeah. I'm trusting whatever he decides to do, I'm good with it. Yeah, that's fair. Mm-hmm. Final thoughts, James. Uh, let's start with you, man. You, if you listened to the pod last week, we I gave did. you a little shout out then. You missed, missed the Equinox. W- one of the best days for your segment uh, that there could possibly be. There's only a, a fraction of days on the calendar that all four sports are played on that day in world history. And you missed it. Yeah. Um, November 7th. Do we have any of those or any of those November 7th? Has the World Series ever gone to November 7th? Not that I saw. The The baseball stuff is like uh, naming award winners and things like that. You know, it's not actual results. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a shame that I missed that. And in all honesty, I didn't go back and look at what I missed because I knew that it would have been too good. It would make me sad. So I was like, I'm just not even going to do that to myself um, of, of what I missed with this day in sports history. But there's some stuff I will say that, you know, with with losing out on on baseball and then it kind of being the start of football and basketball and stuff, there's really th- this this week's is not going to be the strongest. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> and there are no, you know, Benito Santiago or Nolan Ryan or you know any any uh, oh, it's not fun one, fun repeats that we've had. <laughs> yeah, but all right. So I've got it pulled up here, November seven. This day in sports history. So in 1943, on November 7th, the Detroit Lions and New York Giants had the last scoreless tie in the NFL. At So 0-0, zero to zero, 1943, the game ended in a scoreless tie. So Super that's lame. the last mm-hmm. one there's ever been? Yep. Who, and you know, what was the... I mean, What's I feel the, like only soccer should end in scoreless ties. <laughs> James, yeah, that's pretty lame. James, you'll probably know this. Wasn't there like a bowl game a few years ago? It may have even been like Frank Beamer's last game where they went into like overtime at, was it 0-0? Was it 3-3? I don't so, know. Do you know what I'm talking There's I like don't. a meme and it's basically just like a screenshot of uh, uh, Frank Beamer going like this and like celebrating as his team like makes a stop to send it into overtime like at 0-0. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but that reminds me that I once went to an Auburn football game in Starkville, Mississippi, that ended three to two. Two thousand eight. <laughs> yeah. You were at that yeah. game. Yeah, yeah. I went with my family, my brother, and my dad, and some of their friends. Man, uh, what a game to go to! The worst football game I've ever been to in my entire life. Good weekend though. We went gambling <laughs> and golfing, but <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> All right, so yeah, that was that was nineteen forty three, and yes, I'm. Even being an Auburn fan, I'm glad that I wasn't at that 2008 game. Um, All right, so going forward to 1959, Ryder Cup golf, actually, at El Dorado Golf Club, Sam Snead leads the U.S. to a comprehensive eight-and-a-half to three-and-a-half win. So clearly some things have changed since then as far as the the scoring totals and all that stuff. But uh, Sam Snead, you know, that's one that, like, my granddad used to love to talk about. Um. Yeah, me too. Legendary golf. Love some Sam's name. Yeah, yeah. So that was let's see, 1959. All right. So then moving forward, here's a a baseball win. 1963, November 7, 1963. New York Yankee catcher Elston Howard is named the first African American to be voted AL MVP. Have y'all ever heard of Elston Howard before? I have not. I have heard of Elston Howard. 
Nah, I don't even know who that is. Yeah, I I didn't either. I guess he kind of got lost in the shuffle with, you know, all the other big name Yankees that I grew up hearing about. Um, but you know, won the AL MVP, so must have been must have been pretty dang good. Yeah, and as a catcher, so, I've got a trivia question for y'all, and it involves a Brave and a Ranger. Okay, so who are the two players? with the highest war non-position players. I mean, position players, non-pitchers. Who are the two players with the highest war never to win an MVP? One place for the Braves, one place for the Rangers. Plays or played? Played. Yeah. So in the history of the game, the highest war in the history of the game to never win an MVP. Andrew Jones? What's your guess, James? That's a good guess. That was actually going to be my guess. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I have to think about that. Is, did for as far as the Rangers go, did Pudge ever win the MVP? He did. Okay. Yeah. And so did Juan Gonzalez did too, right? God, those guys were my favorites when I was a kid. Um, yeah. As far as Braves player, are, is it was it career or for a season that you're talking about? Career, career war. Okay. Yep. He played. I'll give you a hint. He didn't just play. He played for multiple Braves teams in multiple cities. Oh. Did did uh, did Hank, Hank Aaron, Aaron not win the MVP? Not uh, Hank Aaron. It's Eddie Matthews with uh, a yeah, 90, uh, 96 wins above replacement. I was reaching for. I was like, there's some other one. Yeah, Eddie Matthews. Mm. Yeah. Um, Who's the Rangers? I'm, 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 I'm still kind of trying to think of who it might. The Rangers be. don't have a very deep history. They, these, <laughs> they don't. The players, the players you're going to want to think of were absolutely in our lifetime. Okay. Once it hits your brain, you're going to be like, "That's it." Position player. Uh, I think he had a 93 wins above replacement, which is pretty good. <laughs> about three times the amount that Corey Seager has right now. Wow. And I don't have it. Oh, neither. Who is it? Adrian Beltre. Oh. oh, yeah. That's super obvious. God, yeah. See, I think of him. It's funny, though. I think of him on the Dodgers and the Mariners, and I, he never even crossed my mind. I think about it. He, didn't, he didn't even come they, to the Rangers until he was like 31. Yeah. And he yeah, had so already kind of had his career. But then he played eight yeah. seasons with the Rangers and had yeah, his best seasons true. of his career with the Rangers. Dude, yeah, that's and true. not only that, man, that guy was like maybe my one of my top five favorite players to watch. Like watching yeah. the, the people like mess with him, you know, with the whole deal with like touching his head and all that stuff. Like he was just such an entertaining character. Um, and man, he was so good. Yeah, that's him, him and Elvis Andrews' relationship was yeah. adorable. Yeah, hilarious. <laughs> that's all worked yes. for. Yeah. Yes. yeah, but yeah, watching watching people like decide to mess with him and then like quickly retreat because he legit was like you know would punch him in the face um, was very entertaining to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So since you mentioned uh, MVP, I just had to hit you with that trivia question. That's, real that's quick. a good one. That's yeah. a good one. Stump me for sure. Um, but yeah, so that, that was 1963 that Elston Howard becomes the first African-American to win the AL MVP. Um, so the, this next one, it's funny, Clark actually ties into what you just talked about, Eddie Matthews, uh, 
1964, the National League decides to keep the Braves in Milwaukee in 1965 and announces that they will probably move to Atlanta in 1966. Mm. Wow. There yeah. You go. Yeah. It's a nice little. I don't, know how, I don't know how cities handle that stuff. When you are in love with a team and then all of a sudden you're told that they're moving and then they're like, but you still get one or two seasons left. Like right now the A's fans are in that position. I'm like, how am I supposed to put up with this? Yeah. And now they're talking about the A's playing one more season at the Coliseum and then going and playing three seasons at the Las Vegas, like double a outdoor stadium, <laughs> uh, 81 games at an outdoor stadium in Las Vegas for three years until their stadium is built. Mm. That sounds miserable. Yes, it does. Mm. <clears throat> All right. So then next up, just a couple of, uh, of awards for MLB. So 1978, the Boston Red Sox, Jim Rice wins the AL MVP. Uh, hmm. In 1979, Chicago Cubs reliever Bruce Sutter wins the NL Cy Young Award. So that would be, I would be interested to see how many relief pitchers have won Cy Youngs. Where did Sutter play? Was he a Padre? Where did he play? He, for there, he was a Cub. Cub. Yeah. Brash is trying to get his grid in order. <laughs> hey, I, I respect it. Something like that. But, but yeah, I would be curious. Think of, to, think of, uh, thinking of Don Sutton. Yes. <laughs> I think he was a punter. Yeah. And Don Sutton was also a brave. Um, yeah, he was. All right. Yeah, was. So then going forward, this was another interesting one that I saw. So in 1989, the Baltimore Orioles, Greg Olson, is the first relief pitcher to win the AL Rookie of the Year. So another reliever mm. winning an award. So that's one mm. that's one of those names. So you have Greg Olson for Carolina Panthers, current Fox NFL analyst. You have mm-hmm. Greg Olson, former Braves catcher. Yeah. Then you mm-hmm. have Greg Olson, the pitcher. I just and remember get I just remember Gre- the two Greg Olson baseball players and having their baseball cards when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. And this particular Greg Olson, his name his his version of Greg is spelled with three G's. He's G R E G G. And <laughs> that's right. Just in case y'all didn't know it, he's an Auburn Tiger. Okay. So I had to, okay. had to touch on that. He was great at Auburn under under Hal Baird there in the eighties. Um, so then a couple more here. We do have some some basketball to touch on. Uh, so nineteen ninety one, the first NBA game in Delta City, the Utah Jazz beat the Seattle Sonics one hundred three to ninety five. So that was in ninety one. I was trying to think of. Players on those rosters. Delta I, City. Yeah. Where's that? I don't know. <laughs> I saw it and was like, all right, first game played there. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, that's weird. You're trying to think of teams on those two teams? Think of Are players, players on, those on those two teams in like in ninety one. I don't know if Sam Perkins was on the you said the Sonics, right? Yeah, because you know when I think of those teams, you know, of course, it's like I mean, you know, Malone and Malone and Stockton were both there by then. Yeah, uh, and then like I don't know, you know, <laughs> Sean Kemp, Gary Payton, like I don't know when they got to the Sonics. It's probably before. They'd have been later. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, Delta City's like looks like like an hour south of Provo. What weird what? place <laughs> to play an NBA game? Yeah, it is. Yeah, that is. That's really strange. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Mm. Okay. Um, also, <laughs> in 1991, Magic Johnson announces that he has HIV and he retires from the Lakers. Mm. 
So we start. I, we started uh, the show talking about HIV, and we're finishing the show talking about <laughs> HIV. Full, full circle. circle. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you know, I remember. I, I didn't understand at the time what HIV was, but I remember him retiring, and I was like, "Magic's still awesome," you know. And then he had that All Star game, you know, where he kind of had his last hurrah oh, and yeah. all that stuff. Um, mm. So, but yeah, that was that was nineteen ninety one. Um, and then, and then he came. Then he came back a year later and played on the dream team. Yes. Hmm. Yes, that's right. And then um, one last one is in nineteen ninety two, the first NBA game at America West Arena. The Phoenix Suns beat the LA Clippers one eleven to one oh five. Where's American West oh. Arena? I'm I'm guessing in Phoenix, but I don't know. Yeah. It, okay. It, it's their old. Yeah. Think that's you can't keep up man. with arena names anymore, man. Even like some of the famous ones. It's what, by the what way, year was that? Ninety two. What year was? Yeah, yeah. Because I was gonna say that's the one that Charles Barkley played in. I remember American West. Is Staples back to being Staples? Weren't they like Crypto Arena or something? No, it's Crypto. <laughs> it's it's, it's crypto. still Crypto. Okay. Yeah, I, I'd heard rumors they were going back to Staples. Oh, I mean, maybe they will or something. But I'm pretty. I mean, I think I saw game one of their early games in Crypto. It's kind of like the Sears Tower. I'm going to still call it. It's an Sears, awful name. Yeah. The Sears Tower. Awful, I'm still going to call name. it Staples Center. Crypto. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still going to call it Cowboy horror. Stadium or Jerry World. I'm not calling it AT and T Stadium. Uh, by yeah. the way, that was brilliant marketing for him. Just being like, I'm going to hold off on the naming rights and let y'all call it Jerry World and Cowboys Stadium yeah. for as long as y'all want. And then <laughs> so I'm going to stick. <laughs> then I'm going to make a billion dollars and have AT and T have it. Yep. Yeah, but yeah, that's that's what I got for this day in sports history. I like it, James. Good to have you back. It would have yeah, been way better last it. week, though. So yeah, I know, I know. And like I said, I just didn't even do that to myself to go back and look at what we missed. Uh, I had to give you a little bit of flack. I, me and Brad were actually talking last week about how we're nicer on the podcast than we are like in real life, and <laughs> I even noticed that. And also, I've got respect for people who like do this for a living because during our Oregon Washington conversation last week, I started off saying like. I'm pretty sure we all know how it's going to go if they play again. Everybody's going to have Oregon favored. Everybody's going to know that Oregon's going to win that game and just Oregon's a better team. And then like five minutes later, Brad's sitting there saying like, yeah, I mean, that that Oregon-Washington game couldn't have been any closer. Pretty much those teams are like dead even. And I caught myself with the podcast going, yeah, I agree. Like just like agreeing with him on something that I totally just said was wrong five minutes before. Um, just falling it falling into the trap, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's funny. Uh, but my final thought, I, I want to have a little bit of discussion with you guys um, because I'm just not ready for it to end, and I feel like I just got to bring up one more topic of it before we put a bow on the season. But baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, we won't be talking about baseball for a really long time on this podcast. I imagine, uh, at least until December and some of these transactions take place, but I want to get y'all's thoughts. So they're talking about in like, probably going to be like five years or so about adding two more teams, making it 32 teams, kind of like what the other leagues are doing. Yeah. And we can debate cities right now. The cities are like Charlotte. Nashville, Montreal, Salt Lake City. I kind of get the feeling just from the way people are talking that it's going to be Nashville and Montreal. But I don't want to talk about like where they should go. Here's what I want to talk about. So you got to do some realignment if this happens. Yeah. Because you're going to have to add a team in each league and then all of a sudden 
these five team divisions don't work out because then all of a sudden you're mm-hmm. going to have like remember when certain divisions had like more teams than others yes yeah like central. how ridiculous yeah. that was yes. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. wait i have to win like we get the same prize for winning a division with where I've got to beat more teams than you do. Yeah. Just ridiculous. I think both, both of the West divisions used to have four teams. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Central Central was was loaded. Yeah. 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 But so, so here's what I want to discuss real quick and just get y'all's opinion on. I want 32 teams divided into two, 16 in each league. Mm -hmm. I want two, eight team divisions where winning your division is just a huge deal. And then you can mm. figure out whatever way you want the wild card. I think Major League Baseball is going to do four four, four. four team divisions yeah, in each league ju- just to have people winning and fans more involved and you're you're more in the division race if there's less teams. But I think two eights in each league would be incredible and it would solve like some of our problems that we were talking about how being like division winner deserves a buy mm-hmm. and all that. And winning your division is just a huge deal. How would mm-hmm. y'all put it? If you were the commissioner, would you do four fours or two eights? It's interesting. It'd be really dependent upon how they split it and what the scheduling look like, I guess. Cause the first thing that pops into my head is that if they do it geographically and they do four team splits or four teams in each division, I'd be very, very afraid that the Mets, Nationals and Phillies up in the Northeast get separated from the Braves in another division. Mm -hmm. And if that scheduling impacts their ability to play those teams regularly, then I want nothing to do with it. I mean, I'd like to be in their same division regardless, but more specifically, I want to play those teams a lot every year. Um, So that would probably be the biggest consideration. If they kick the the Marlins out of the division and that just became the new East, then I'd probably prefer 4-4-4, but I just uh, I'm mostly concerned about those rivalries and how it would impact it. That's a, that's a fair point. I would be curious to look, you know, um, I don't know exactly what year it was. Clark, you might know, but you know, the Astros used to be in the national league, you know, and then got, I believe it was was 2010. Yeah. It was very recent. I don't remember exactly when that, but you know, like I I remember vividly in the nineties, the Braves regularly play in the Astros in the division series. 13, okay. Yeah, it's been 10 years. That's where I got it confused. Yeah, they went to the World Series in 05 as the National League representative. Yeah, so So I would be really curious to see if not only would they be kind of realigning divisions and stuff like that, but if any teams would be moved from one league to the other and stuff like that. So I don't know. I think I would have to – have to sit down and look closer at how that could potentially play out. Um, but I, I like the idea of having two, uh, two eight team divisions. I think that that would be intense. It definitely makes it uh, more meaningful to win the division. And also like you're saying, kind of makes the the postseason picture would, would definitely make it to where you're not having to have a division winner play in a wild card round or makes anything like that. Makes a lot like more that. sense. Um, yeah. Whereas if you have, you know, four divisions of four, I don't know how that playoff system would look, but then probably you'd have, well, I don't know. I don't know how that, but you would definitely have at least one division winner playing in the wild card round. So it still would not solve that problem. So that would be interesting to see how that plays out. But I think that's a cool. I, I, 
I like two eights too because you can finagle it in a way where you can say like, all right, we've got a lot of really great rivalries, Cubs, Cardinals, uh, Braves, Mets, all that sort of stuff. And a lot of these teams have multiple rivalries and you can say, all right, with an eight team division, I can make sure these rivals stay together. Yeah. Once you switch it down to four teams, yeah. like you're, you're going to lose something, lose something yeah. along the way. Yeah, you really are. I will say though, in terms of doing four teams with four divisions and four divisions is it actually still kind of works itself out to where the two division winners with the best records get the buy. The two division winners with the lesser records play host in those series. Yeah. Especially if you do the single day premise that y'all came up with a couple of weeks ago, I think that's a massive advantage. Still. Yeah. So that kind of works itself out as well to benefit the postseason. But, um, but yeah, you kind of gave me, you got my wheel spinning because there's, I love looking at realignment. So I'll probably have to Real go play with fascinating. it now. It's yeah, fun. It it's a lot of fun. So I'll probably go play with that a little bit to see what it might look like. And you never know. I, like people just assume, and James, I think you touched on it, that all right, two new teams, one will go to AL, one will go to NL. Not necessarily. Right. They may both go to one league, and then all of a sudden you're kicking two two teams out. Right. Um, yeah. They're not afraid to do that. And, and when all of a sudden – Look at how baseball has been rewarded with it as well. You move the Astros to the AL West, and all of a sudden the Rangers start sucking. Astros go on a tear, and now their their time has overlapped with both being good. And now you've got in two teams in the same state with fan bases that hate each other, who are the mm. last two World Series champions who just played a seven game series, mm-hmm. had brawls, had a brawl during the regular season, and now you're going into next year. I got to look this up. They may open. No, wait. The Rangers open with the Cubs next year, but they play early in April. Those series with the Astros Rangers next year are going to be must-see TV. Yeah. That's, that's It's not on the same level as Red Sox-Yankees was during the height of theirs because there's so much tradition and history there. But baseball really doesn't have like a huge rivalry right now. And I think right now with Astros, Rangers, and then what we might get with Phillies-Braves next year, uh, could be really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a shame. Uh, I'd say shame. Y'all would disagree, but if the Phillies had a World Series to match the Braves' World Series that they'd won recently, then you'd have two different rivalries with four teams that have won four out of the past five World yeah. Series with the Dodgers yeah. winning that twenty twenty one. Um, I'm okay but it's just something Phillies to think don't. about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm interested to see how baseball uh, does this. I'm interested to see what teams get it. Um, I'm also interested to see. If you're in Nashville and you're a lifelong Braves fan, or yeah, are you becoming a, a Nashville fan? Um, and maybe that's what baseball will want to do too. Say, let's just go uh, ahead they, put the, let's let's go ahead and put the Nashville team in the American League and just Nashville's Cubs and Cardinals country. First of all, uh, that's where a ton Mi- of Cubs and Cardinals. Memphis fans. is cards and cards and Cardinals is Nashville as well. Yeah, big time. Big Interesting. Time. I had no idea. Yeah. I just assumed since yeah. they're on the eastern part of the state, they'd be Braves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'll be interested too to see if Montreal gets a team back, if they'll be the Expos again and have the, their sweet old school logo. Yeah, I hope so. That'd Dude, be cool. the Expos. I hope I, so. I like. I loved watching the Expos teams when I was a kid when the Braves yeah. were always playing against them. Well, and props mm-hmm. to the Nationals. The Nationals haven't worn the Expos throwbacks yet either, which kind of leaves that more on the table. Like, I'm yeah. still mad at the Titans for wearing the Houston Oilers the throwbacks. Oilers, it's like, like let the town of Houston have that. Let the mm-hmm. Texans have that. I know you moved. Well, I saw a lot of, 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 of uh, 
they get a lot of flack for that, but they were the first season the Tennessee Oilers. So they were some sense, you know. And dude, those uh, Oilers uniforms are sweet too. They are they beautiful. Are. They, they should wear that. They should just wear those all the time. I, I know, man. <laughs> those, those things are awesome. But now, like people are getting in the so those are actually sweet uniforms. So are the Seahawks ones. But people are now getting in the mode where any like old uniform they're like calling really good. I remember before the World Series, people were talking about the Diamondbacks really need to go back to their uh, sleeveless pinstripe with the purple undershirts underneath it. They're like, those are so like whatever the word is, cold or sick or whatever. And I'm like, nobody, nobody <laughs> thought those were good looking uniforms. Green. When, yeah. Yeah. Back in the day. And, and doing wrong, the Diamondbacks uniforms now are horrible. They're so <laughs> bad, but nobody thought the Kurt Schilling, Randy Johnson unis yeah. were cool. Nobody. And yeah. now because they're what, 15 years old, everybody thinks they're awesome. No, the Oilers and Seahawks and uh, those Patriots with the Patriot and the three point yeah. stance. Those are cool. uniforms. Or even, you know, the, the Eagles ones that they wore a couple of weeks ago that are the Kelly green with the, Ooh. that green and silver. Mm. Like yeah. that's, that's a good look. Those are sick. With the wings. Yeah, I, can't, yeah. They are. Yeah. I can't hate there. Yeah. Um, holy cow. I was just about to sign off without doing something very important. <laughs> Brad went three and zero this week. That's right. We all, we almost I left this episode with Brad. So we, Brad finally went three and zero, and you could say whatever you want about him, him taking this long a season. When you go three and zero before you go zero and three, that's all that matters. Yeah, that's yeah, all that that's matters. Right. And yeah, now right. what? You're sixteen and eleven on the season. That's right. Pretty we're solid. five of our last six. Yeah, yeah, we're doing good. Yeah, we're starting to hit our stride a little bit here. We covered all three this weekend easily, too. I mean, that Washington-USC game was a little back and forth, but the way they were scoring, and there was never really any question. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun these past couple of weeks, and I have to point out that this all started happening when we stopped picking picks on Tuesday night. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredibly hard to do. The fact that I went 500 doing that is, quite frankly, kind of amazing in and of itself. But uh, – <laughs> We're going to try to keep the ball rolling, so we'll keep releasing them on Saturday morning. So y'all look out for that. But yeah, three and a weekend. Felt, felt, I texted y'all immediately. The game, Chiefs game wasn't even over yet. <laughs> three and O, baby, we did it. Well done. <laughs> so, yeah. so the picks are going to be on our uh, Instagram page each week. Probably have them up Friday or Saturday. Uh, there is proof there that this happened. Um, mm-hmm. So go check those out. Uh, yeah. Brad had a three and zero weekend. The Rangers won the World Series, and James Auburn just lost to Baylor. So you're the loser tonight. Uh, oh no! Well, we will know, see y'all next and, week. In all honesty, I'm just glad yeah. that they that they looked like they belonged on the court with them. So I'm okay yeah. with that. Yeah, yeah. That's Damn, all right. That was the perfect place to end. You got to come in here with just like a logical <laughs> take. I'm just saying, like my heart's not ripped out. It's the first game of the year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. All right, James. Good to have you back this week. Hey, uh, good to be back. Yeah. You going to be back next no. week? Oh yeah. All right. As long, as long- That'll do it for us. See y'all next week. See ya. It's been real, y'all.